BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Monday. Ever since I've been doing this job, and what is this, week five, week six? I've got no idea. I'm, I'm lost in it already. I've had a kind of chesty thing. It won't go. Without going into graphic detail, the things that were coming... Anyway, well, let's not go into detail, but it, it's, a, it's a chesty thing, so if I sound a bit wheezy, I can only apologise. Any, any suggestions you've got on how I can get rid of this thing that's been with me forever? I don't smoke. I'm not like Talisa. I've not got fag-ash breath. So I don't know why I've got it. Very annoying. Hope you had a good weekend. Mine was fantastic. I was in Glasgow on Friday. I was stood outside a converted church on Friday evening to go and see a pop concert. Uh, and I was queuing, and it started snowing. Yeah, it started snowing. It was flipping. This weekend has been cold, hasn't it? I left Glasgow Saturday morning. I, I landed at Luton um, at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. It was colder in Luton than it was in Glasgow. Worrying times. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's tell you what's coming up in uh, at least the next hour of the show. Uh, As you've heard in the news, US states uh, begin storm shutdown as Hurricane Sandy prepares to hit the eastern seaboard. That's New York, basically. A Dunstable shop sells size 46-inch trousers for kids. Yeah. Who... Who's to blame when kids get fat and the button hook society has seen a drop in membership numbers let me just reiterate this alarming news the button hook society has seen a drop in number i've no idea either we'll find out later on in the show i do want to know though what kind of odd hobbies and weird things do you collect we've already had a comment on the facebook page from a girl scented candles I guess she's an American girl. It seems like an American thing to collect at scented candles. What do you collect? Uh, lots of ways to get in touch. I'll give you three of them now. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. But I think we're, we're establishing, aren't we, that the best way to get in touch is for you to give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is, um, if this affects you, I know it's a long shot. I know it's a long shot, but this could affect you, this whole Hurricane Sandy story. If you're planning on on going to the States today or in the next couple of days, uh, it's possible your flight's been cancelled. Not quite sure. I, I know that the, the Virgin, I think, have counted nearly all of them. Could you let us know? It'd be, it'd be great to hear from you. Or it, 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 could there even be anybody listening to us in New York City right now? Anyway, up to 60 million people living on the east coast of the United States are bracing themselves for the arrival of Hurricane Sandy, the most powerful storm to threaten the eastern seaboard in recent years. British Airways and Virgin Atlantic have cancelled dozens of flights from the UK. The disruption is expected to affect thousands of people here who've been planning to visit New York on business or during the half-term holiday. This is how the US news networks are covering what's being titled a superstorm. This could be historic, folks. If you live across the East Coast, you need to be paying very, very close attention to your local forecast. This is not just a hurricane. This is a totally different animal. There is nothing we can compare it to. A storm system in the Northeast, in the Atlantic, it's very difficult to say this is going to be like any other storm because it's really cutting brand new territory. Good evening. We're going into a situation this weekend that's very scary for a whole lot of people. I want to read you a quote from a veteran forecaster today. He says, we are in uncharted territory here. I've never seen anything like this. I'm at a loss for words to describe what the storm could do. Oceans will surge. Trees will come down. Power will go out. 
portions of the coastline could be ravaged. States like New York, Virginia, Maryland have all declared a state of emergency. Even the U.S. Navy is taking this storm seriously, pulling 21 ships out of the harbor in Norfolk, feeling like they'll be safer out in the open water than they will be bouncing around in port. Those uh, headlines remind me, I was in uh, Japan about four years ago, the year they had the really, really big storm, and I was sitting in a tiny hotel north of, uh, of Japan, north of Japan, and I was watching the news, and the weather came on, didn't understand the word of it, because it was all in Japanese, but there were lots of flashing red lights, and then I heard the word super tornado. Uh, and, and I kind of panicked. It, it sounds like it's having a similar kind of vibe over there. New York's mayor has ordered the evacuation of 375,000 people from low-lying areas. So what is it that makes this storm so potentially dangerous? Here's Jeff Masters from the meteorological site Weather Underground. It's huge. The area of ocean that this storm covers is unprecedented in size for a hurricane making landfall in the U.S. We've got a region of ocean with 12-foot high waves, that's about 4 meters, that spans 1,600 kilometers. I mean, that's a vast area of ocean. And the region of tropical storm force winds that's covered is somewhere around 12 or 1,400 kilometers. So just a massive amount of water has been put in motion, and we're going to see unprecedented storm surge heights along the coast from New Jersey to New York, probably around two meters. It depends on where you live what the major effect is going to be. My main concern is storm surge, which is going to hit New Jersey and New York, particularly around New York City. That's going to cause the most damage. But there's going to be heavy rains as well. We're thinking about six to eight inches of rain over a large swath of the country, We're going to have heavy snows of about two feet in the mountains of the Appalachians, and wind damage is going to be extraordinary along a 1,600-mile stretch of coast. You're going to see a lot of trees come down. I think we'll see 10 million people lose power, and we still have a lot of fall leaf going on, so those trees are going to act like sails and be taken down by these strong winds particularly when there's heavy rainfall making the soil moist. But it's going to hang around for two or three days, and the winds will gradually subside, and the rains will linger for a few days as well. BBC's native New Yorker, Tara Godomsky, uh, described how the city was coping with the shutdown. Oh, well, can you hear? I'm actually in my local subway station where it's completely empty, no trains running. It's actually extremely creepy here. They didn't actually stop um, the stairway, so people could actually come down into the subway station, but there's there's no one here and no trains running. Uh, just looking around, the things that are open, um, we have the 24-hour pharmacy, of course, is still open, the newspaper shop. We have actually the shop that sells umbrellas is still open, which is which is good. And um, of course, the Chinese takeout is open, and the diner. So some of those classic New York things that never ever shut down, even in a hurricane, are still open. But a lot of the restaurants have shuttered. It's a long shot, I know. Good to hear the Chinese restaurants still open. Everyone, everyone needs uh, the, the prawn crackers and sign of this. It, it's a long shot, but if you you were planning to fly out to New York today or, or tomorrow, because it is half term, so maybe you're going to take the kids for a little treat, a bit of Christmas shopping, or maybe you're going to go on a business trip uh, and you've had to rethink your plans could you give us a call 08459 455 555 now we need to change this clock in the studio it's wrong I like that little bass bit this bit that bit that's my favourite bit of the entire song things are changing slightly here I'll explain in a bit but the weather isn't going to be where you think the weather's going to be don't panic we haven't got rid of it you weather 
freaks out there who get off on listening to the weather at 20, but it's moved. D- c- stick with me, I'll explain all in a second. Don't forget, you can give me a call any time during the show about any of the things we're talking about, or any of the things that maybe you think we should be talking about that we haven't covered. It's good, that song, isn't it? You know what it's about, don't you? Y- yeah. No, it is. I know. Terrible. Very naughty, those Beatles. They were rude, but in kind of like a really high frequency, so you, you couldn't tell at the time. Now, here's uh, something I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on. A store in Dunstable has begun stocking 44 to 46-inch waist trousers for kids. Yeah, secondary school children's uniforms. That's compared to an average adult man's waist, which is around 34 inches. I'm 34 on a good day. On a good day? But if I've had a busy weekend, it goes up a little bit. Big stuff in the town has seen an increased demand for the larger sizes from young teenagers. The latest National Child Measurement Programme concluded that around 18% of 11 to 12-year-olds in the three counties could be classified as obese. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Victoria Cook has been along to meet the owner of the clothes shop. Hi, I'm Mick Radford. Big stuff in Dunstable. Outsized menswear. Tell me a bit about some of the younger people that you have coming in here. You've seen an increase in more children coming in with their parents. Yes, I have. And and we're looking at occasions where children are leaving primary to go to secondary school. I mean, I started a 42-inch waist. And, of course, they can't get their uniforms anywhere else. And it's, it's quite sad. So these are kids that are coming in for their school uniform trousers, for example, and they can't get them from the usual places, I suppose, some of the supermarkets do uniform, don't they? And they, they can't fit in them, is that right? Uniforms, yeah. I mean, even with the likes of Asda's, Tesco's, they will take their stock up to a 40-inch waist. Anything past that, forget it. That's why I'm here. To give me an idea, 40-inch waist, what does that equate to? What size are you, so I can firstly tell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a 32 waist, and in the industry, 32, 34 is probably the most common. 40, 42 most definitely, most of the likes of Marks and Spencers, Asda's, that's where they finish. But when I say it's where they finish... When they purchase, there's probably only one or two 42s within that particular range compared with six or seven 38s. Could you imagine children coming to you 10, 15 years ago asking for these sizes? Never. That, that wasn't even a consideration. You're, you're talking about much older guys, but to see school children coming in, even end of college where they need a suit for their passing out and so on and so forth you know it's everything you're talking about school kits with regards to sports stuff as well it's across the board you even have to sell longer ties here don't you yes (laughs) i do up to a 23 inch collar therefore i mean when, when you get a normal tie a tie is made to go up to an 18 inch so obviously when you've got a 23 inch you need that extra length otherwise you've got to tie halfway up your shirt so yeah and once people are in the shop are they pleased that you're doing these sizes (laughs) especially for the younger children like you say if they want more fashionable things perhaps they're struggling to find it elsewhere you know what's the reception that you're getting from from especially the younger guys it's coming into the shop after going round milton Keynes all day and getting very depressed that they can't find anything to fit them and they're looking at the biggest size in the shop they come in here and they find sizes too big for them and they walk out here so happy i mean it, it gets become such a buzz quite a big lad came in here 2xl i would say and i was able to talk to him and 
got him into the fitting room trying a few fashionable pairs of jeans on and T-shirts and shirts and what have you. He was with his mother and grandmother. Anyway, after they'd finished, the grandmother said to me, I'd like to shake your hand. Asked why. She said, I have never, ever seen my grandson the way he was today. Thank you very much. Um, And obviously that (coughs) choked me up a bit. There you go. Uh, our uh, reporter, Victoria Cook. Um, Tam Fry is from the National Obesity Forum. Morning, Tam. Good morning to you. Who's to blame for kids being so fat, Tam? Well, I don't think anybody's to blame exactly. I think if, if there's any blame attached, it must be to society because we have evolved on what we call an obesogenic society and uh, it makes it very difficult for a number of children not to eat themselves to a large size because the whole of industry, the whole of advertising is encouraging them to eat, eat, eat. Tam, what does obesogenic mean? Obesogenic means that uh, the the society is constructed around the probability that people will become obese. We have uh, less physical activity. We have more cars on the roads which uh, forbid or or make it difficult for children to go out of play. We have more uh, games to play in a sedentary fashion. We have more television. All the things which are against the healthy lifestyle of eating well and exercising well. There are some people, Tam, who would say, well, that's not society's fault. That, that's all there, and it's the, the options uh, that the family puts in front of them that it's the parents' fault, because the parents can say, right, you're not watching telly, you're, you're not going to play the Xbox, you're going to eat some healthy food. Isn't it the, the parents' responsibility? Well, it is in sense the parents' responsibility, but you've just mentioned uh, three things which uh, some parents find very difficult to combat. If children want to watch television and they're forbidden, then they get fractious. If children can't... Yeah, tough indeed, but I'm afraid that there are parents who are not uh, inclined to take that kind of stern approach. So it is the parents' fault, then? If they can't be stern with their kids, then it's their problem. Yes, uh, I would then go in to say, well, how many of of a certain number of parents know about parenting? Uh, In schools, we have completely forgotten to teach uh, parents or to teach children when they become parents how to be parents. We don't teach them food recognition. We don't teach them cooking. We don't uh, uh, give them the exercise facilities that they should be having. And those bad habits then get passed on to their children. And it's extraordinarily difficult sometimes for a certain number of parents to be able to combat that. I'm not sure I agree with you on that, Tam, to be honest. If if the kid's getting fractious because you tell them to stop watching telly, tough. Uh, And everyone knows if you eat lots of burgers and chips and fried chicken, that is bad for you. People know that, don't they? know that fried chicken and burgers equal fat. Salads and slightly healthier things equal possibly not quite so fat, don't they? I'm very happy for you to dis- disagree with me because a Thank lot you. of people do. Uh, but it's not just me. It's uh, a lot of other people who now have but the point I this just, problem. The point I just made, that, that, that's obvious, isn't it? That, that, that people know, or maybe they don't, but I, I would assume that people know that burgers and fried chicken equals chance of being fat. Salads and, and other healthier foods equals chance of not being so fat. Do pe- people know you that? Have- 
You have used the word assume, and I assume and you assume that people would know that. But we have now for 13 years been putting out messages about the fact that uh, junk food is bad for your health and it is still being eaten wow. in vast quantities. So just to clarify, Tam, uh, listen, I don't want to fall out of you. I'm having an interesting discussion. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you are saying that there are some parents who do not know that fried chicken and chips will make their kids fat. There are not only some parents who do not know, but there are some parents who don't care whether they know or not. That is the way in which they feed their children, and that is the way they allow their children to go off and feed themselves. What do we do then, Tam, to to sort this out? Or can we? Is it too late? It's uh, not too late. Nothing's too late. But what we need to do is to actually change what I'm calling the obesogenic society around in favor of children to allow them the uh, chances to go out and play without being um, uh, in danger or molested, uh, to allow them to eat proper food so that when they go into a store, they get food which is as healthy as it can be, other than being stuffed with high fat and sugar. And that is... uh, something which only governments can do and uh, one of our campaigns is to make absolutely sure that the uh, the, the ingredients which are uh, deleterious to health are taken out of food so at least we know that our children are eating proper food as opposed to the junk which is currently available no, sometimes. I would agree with, with some of that. I do think that there is too much uh, advertising and proliferation of, uh, of fast food chains uh, in it but you can't get rid of them completely because if I want to go have a Mackey D's or a Burger King I- I'm allowed to aren't I? Every now and then, oh, I want a little treat of horrible fatty food. Yes, of course you are, and 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 you can. I, I, I'm not against uh, food per se uh, being uh, delicious and tasty, and you can go off to your Burger King and get them. But unfortunately, for instance, Burger King have a a, a, a burger at 966 calories. Good for them. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that is uh, irresponsible. But Tam, the choice should be there. Burger... The choice, the choice okay. should be there for for people to make that choice. And I, I, I really, I, I, surely it's the parents' responsibility not governments, not societies, not these fast food restaurants of which there are many. It's the parents' responsibilities to educate the kids as to, to what they should be eating. Indeed, I would agree that it is the parents' responsibility to educate the kids. But if the parents don't know any better, yep. then the kids are going to go off and do their own thing. Tam, listen, we're running out of time. Thank you very much. Tam Fry there from the National Obesity Forum. Well, what do you think about what he had to say? Uh, I, I don't think you can completely ban fatty foods. The choice should be there. Yes, I think there's probably too much advertising. There are probably too many of these, these, and there are lots of these different chains. I'll just focus on Burger King and McDonald's, all these different fast food chains. Maybe there are too many of them. And maybe it is too easy to pop in and buy those things. But we should have that choice. But are we not... I, I, I can't believe that there, is, there are parents out there who don't know that, that, that fried chicken makes you fat. They must, they must know that. No one could be that naive, can they? Whose fault is it? Tam seems to think it's society's. I disagree slightly. Who do you think? I, d- I don't know the answer to this. 08459 455 555. Whose fault is it that kids are getting fatter? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. I found that really interesting, that uh, chat with Tam Fry there about uh, fat kids. Whose fault do you think it is? It has to lie with the parents. We were just chatting, uh, my producer and I, during the news there. And, and, and it could be that parents don't know how to cook. There could be that. Um, and it is cheaper to go and buy a load of, like, maybe chicken drumsticks and put them in, you know, fried chicken and fry them. I don't know. I don't know. 
but to, to, to start blaming it on, on, on the government, uh, is that not moving responsibility a little bit? I mean, that was Tam's opinion. I don't know. I, oh, wait, 459 455 555. Who do you blame for fat kids? Coming up in the next half hour, Gary Glitter was arrested at the weekend. <clears throat> I think you can guess why, and we'll find out what's been happening. And the Button Hook Society. Yes, the Button Hook Society is concerned that fewer people are interested in collecting them. I've got no idea what they are. We'll find out later on. What do you collect? Am I writing thinking, I may be being grossly sexist here, that collecting, it's a bloke's thing, isn't it? Is it mainly blokes that collect things? Do do women collect things? Because men like numbers and facts and details and dates and times. They like everything to be logged. And women, I just realised this is a massive generalisation on both sexes, women kind of like things to be tidy and clear and empty, don't they? Have I totally misjudged everybody? My collection is, as I'm, I've banged on many times, monkey stuff. Obsessed with the monkeys, the pop group. Obsessed. I just collect loads of stuff. When I saw Mike Nesmith twice this weekend, I'm seeing him again tomorrow night. Yeah, that's a little bit stalky, isn't it? So what do you collect? What's the oddest thing, oddest collection we can find from our Three Counties listeners? 08459 455 555. Now, the police investigation into allegations of sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile is growing at a rapid rate every day. So far, Operation Utree, which is investigating Savile and others, has produced over 300 potential victims of sexual abuse. Over the weekend, former pop star Gary Glitter, real name Paul Gadd, was arrested and bailed on suspicion of sex offences as part of that police operation. Today, a BBC inquiry begins looking into how Jimmy Savile could have abused children on its premises and the culture and practices at the corporation at the time. Our reporter, Gavin Lee, has been following developments. Morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. Uh, bring us up to date with well, what's been happening over the weekend. Yeah, first on the arrest of somebody in Operation Utree, Gary Glitter, real name Paul Gadd, 60 years old, who was interviewed by police for nine hours yesterday. He was arrested at home in the morning. Uh, he was released on bail in the, about five o'clock in the evening, and he has been arrested, convicted for sex offences in Vietnam, and he has been released until December, where he'll um, face police uh, again. Uh, Scotland Yard is is saying more arrests will follow, possibly today. Um, So that's a police investigation so far. As you mentioned, 300 victims, 400 lines of inquiry looking at those potential victims. And we have the first of the five separate inquiries starting today. The BBC inquiry, uh, led by the former judge, Dame Janet Smith. She is used to carrying out massive, um, serious inquiries. She carried out the Harold Shipman inquiry in the past, the doctor who killed dozens of his patients. She's saying, um, over the weekend, she spoke about this to say she's no idea how long the inquiry will take. It's looking at the culture and practice at the BBC and she will be conscious of the fact that the police inquiry will also be going on. That will take precedence, she said. She'll be making sure that the BBC inquiry, looking at whether or not Jimmy Savile uh, was supported, was you know ha- what was the extent of the, the abuse going on and could somebody somewhere al- along the chain of command at the BBC reported what was going on and that's starting today. How extensive is this BBC inquiry going to be? Is Dame Janet Smith going to be interviewing suspected victims, for example? She will be, if they cooperate with her. She said she's, she's trying to speak to as many um, um, suspected victims of sex abuse over the years, dating back to the 60s, and she said she will try to get access to all of the BBC written records over the decades, again, starting from the 60s. Uh, th- uh, worth saying, though, at the start of all of this, the BBC had said it's gone back over those records. It mm. couldn't find any written evidence of what was happening 
either at Top of the Pops or elsewhere. But we're told it's going to be the most extensive inquiry looking at BBC practice. It, you know, we, we also heard uh, last week from George Entwistle, the Director General, that there are you know, nine cases, uh, both historic and active, of sexual abuse and harassment, some of those cases being passed to the police. So, so it will clearly take into uh, account that as well. The chair of the BBC uh, Trust, Lord Patton, spoke up over the weekend and he said how the BBC must face up to itself yeah. following the Jimmy Savile scandal. I don't, what does that mean? I don't get that. Well, he spoke to the Mail on Sunday and I think it's a case of him saying essentially the BBC risks massively ruining, squandering, he said, public trust because um, he, he was suggesting tacitly um, there could well be a case of somebody knowing about this at some level, as we've, you know, we've seen from previous um, Panorama programmes and programmes talking to members of staff at the BBC, even you know, high-profile members of staff like Paul Gambaccini saying that they uh, were aware of rumours but could they have reported it? What's Chris, Pat- Chris Patton is saying, Lord Patton, the chair of the Trust, is saying maybe some people preferred not to follow up on their suspicions but how strong was that suspicion because of his um, you know, Jimmy Savile's popularity because of his placing in the, in the schedules were people put off by this, this he said did people turn a blind eye to criminality could it be the case that nobody knew what he was doing at all or was this just put aside or buried uh, so this is what you know, he's saying I think almost to, to aid this BBC inquiry of saying that they will support that and if anybody was found to be, to be involved of, or, or at least supporting or hiding what Jimmy Savile was doing you know they'll be part of operation u tree as well gavin lee thank you very much let's take that in the flood it's the first time i've, I've really analyzed those lyrics and i've noticed that they rhyme the word understood with flood <laughs> they don't sound the same they have the similar letters at the end but they don't sound the same they go under how did it understood flood that's how they do it they cheat understood flood BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Here every morning, six till nine. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Unusual collections. Now, I'm not saying that you're weird, but I think that you might have some odd collections out there. In a few minutes, we will hear from the Button Hook Society, who have a strong contingency of five collectors in Hartford. They're concerned about the uh, lack of interest in their hobby. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is out and about. He's off to see an unusual collection. Justin, <laughs> where are you and what, what's happening? Good morning, Ian. Yes, I'm off to meet Colin Huller from Dunstable. Now, he's been collecting fossils uh, for the last oh. 44 years, apparently. Apparently, he has around 300 fossils of all different species. <laughs> We're going to be finding out where this passion comes from and, of course, taking some photographs for the Three Counties Radio Facebook page as well. Do fossils, do fossils have species? Well, uh, according to, 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 well, to my research this morning... Wikipedia, a, a, is it? A, <laughs> I know you, yes. A, a fossil um, are the preserved remains or traces of yes. animals, plants or other organisms from the remote past. But um, to have 300 of them and to have to sell some of them because you haven't got enough space well what does colin's family think about this obsession this is the thing it'll be interesting to find out if, if he's married or single because i, <laughs> I, I no no i'm not making any judgments no no, but, uh, you. <laughs> no but if he is married how on earth does his wife put up with it because my wife is really is at her wits end about my monkeys collection i well, bought i bought a very expensive guitar the other week a monkeys kind of themed guitar and when i told her how much it was 
she was literally disgusted. Yeah. Justin, disgusted see, with I, me. I can get that. I actually ended a relationship once over my music collection. <laughs> the, the, this girl came around, she said to me, oh, we've got loads of CDs, thousands of CDs here. Are they all in alphabetical order? And I went, yes. Yeah. She went, well, that's really sad. I went, right, okay, thank you very much, goodbye. Oh, I ended the relationship because she took the mickey out of my CD collection being A to Z. Listen, one of the joys, and I'm, I'm moving house, so I get to do this again soon, one of the joys of a single weekend when the, the, the wife or the girlfriend goes away is putting all of your CDs in oh, alphabetical order. It wonderful. takes a whole weekend. It's a joy. Justin, we must move on. I look forward to uh, hearing more about that. If you've ever finished a relationship because of a collection, do give us a call. I'd love to follow that. I think it... There's Dion, by the way. I think it is. I think it has to be a bloke's thing, doesn't it? Collecting things? Uh, the g- girls are far more... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Flouncy, is that, is that the word? It's kind of, you know, a bit like... Men like facts and numbers and figures and being able to hold things and go, well, this one was re- released in 1967, but actually the one you want is this, which was a re-release in 1969, because if you look at the cover, this one has got... Y- you know, they like things like that. If you've got an unusual collection, could you give us a call? 08459 455 555. The Buttonhook Society. Strong contingency of five collectors in Hartford. Big up yourself. Uh, are concerned about the lack of interest in their hobby. The group of 140 worldwide are determined to win more members. So a display... I still don't know what they are, these things. They're displaying these little hooks around the UK in the hope that people will take an interest. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, went down to Hartford Museum to see what it was all about. Every Monday to... Oh, no, she didn't. Here she did. Hello, I'm Sarah Keeling, and I'm the assistant curator here at Hartford Museum. This is Sue, who put together the exhibition here, and Margaret, who's from the committee of the Buttonhook Society. Hello, ladies. Hello. Well, I suppose I should ask, what is a buttonhook? Why would you use a buttonhook? They were used for um, buttoning up gaiters, the old military buff coats, uh, leather jerkins. They do date back to the uh, 17th century. Are they still used today? Yes, they are. Yes, really? They are. Who uses them? You can find them in lots of uh, catalogues for people with disabilities who've got um, limited grip. This top one is um, mostly mine. This is a black and white theme, so that all the handles are either black or white, a sort of mother of pearl or ivory, and we've linked that in with some black and white gloves and the black boots and the little policeman buttonhook. Wow. And then in the lower drawer, we've got folding and retractable hooks. Um, I don't know what that would be, Margaret. Seal. Seal. And then there's a little one there that's actually shaped like a violin. That's correct, yes. It's a bit of an unusual hobby, isn't it? Is it fair to say that perhaps it's a passion that not many people share? We did actually reach nearly the magical number of 200 members, and they're in the States, Australia, New Zealand. We are actually coming down in size. I think we're about 140-odd members now because the young don't seem to collect. They're more minimalist. Maybe it'll all come back again sometime. How do you get the youth into button hooks? That's the question, isn't it? This is true. Mm. I mean, what can you do? We'll have to think of a a way. Well, they can come to an exhibition like this. Um, I think, you know, people would find it very interesting. And I think by coming out and displaying in museums all over the country, you would hope that somebody would take an interest because it is part of our social history. What got you into collecting button hooks? Many, many years ago, my mother showed me a hook that she found handy to pull up the zip at the back of her dress. 
And then when my mother died years later, I was sorting out a dressing table drawer and found this hook. So I kept it. And that started me off. And yourself? Well, I was sitting on the beach in Cornwall in 1971, thinking, oh, I'd like to start a collection, but I didn't know what. I knew it had to be something that was cheap, because we were educating children. It had to be something that I could arrange nicely and was not too large. And so I came home and began going round antique centres and eventually uh, someone came up and held up a button hook. I said, that's it. I just <laughs> knew immediately. You knew. I arrived home, sat down for lunch, showed my husband proudly the start of my collection. And his reaction was, what do you want to collect those for? <laughs> It was a very sensible reaction. No, well done, Sophie Solera. She, she did the impossible. She made button hooks sexy. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do at five to seven in the morning. Uh, well, we're now um, joined by assistant curator of the Hartford Museum, Sarah Keeling. Morning, Sarah. Good morning. Why did you decide to commission an exhibition of button hooks? Well, we always like to have collectors in because they're so passionate about their collections. Um, they can bring something completely different to the museum. Um, something that I didn't know anything about until I started working on this exhibition. What other unusual collections have you displayed then? Well, a little while ago, we had a whole exhibition of collections, including Doctor Who objects, Ooh. Barbara Cartland objects, uh-huh. key rings. It's amazing the things that are out there. Now, see, you got me because you, you got me quite excited. Doctor, Who, I'm a little bit of a geek. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've, I've gone off Doctor Who since he got younger than me. I've stopped watching it now. But what kind of Doctor Who stuff did you have? Oh, all sorts of things. I'm afraid it was before I was there. Oh, okay. So I'm afraid I can't tell you too much about that. But doesn't one. this just show how odd uh, people, human beings, are? Because you say Doctor <laughs> Who, which you know I can sort of see that, and then you, yeah. the next breath you mentioned Barbara Barbara Cartland, the, the soppy yeah. novelist. <laughs> why would? It's an impossible question, but why would anybody collect that? Why does any? Why do we collect things, Sarah? You know, that's a very difficult question, but I think for a lot of people it's nice once you've picked up one or two things that you become interested and you start to think, well, if I have that Doctor Who play set of playing cards, is there also a Doctor Who Monopoly set? Is there also a something like that? Or if I have one button hook, are there folding yeah. button hooks? Are there large button hooks? Ooh. Are there different colours? Well, hang on, hang on. Are there folding button hooks? There are folding button yes, hooks, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it's, it, uh, it's, I'm, I'm kind of slightly addicted to collecting. I have, I have the um, uh, eBay app on my telephone and it's uh. set to fire off every time something with the monkeys pops, pops online. <laughs> I get a little bit of, oh, something you might want to look at. I spend far too much money. There is something comforting about having, you know, collections, I think. I think maybe that's it. Is it mainly blokes that do it, Sarah? It seems like a male thing to me. Well, I don't know. The Buttonhook Society members I've met have been largely female, although there are some men. So I think it's men and women. They just perhaps have different collections. Is it true? Now, uh, please tell me this is true. My, my, my team have given me this fact, and I pray to God this is true, because if it is, I'm coming. We have a permanent <laughs> display of toothbrushes at the museum. We do have a permanent yes. display of toothbrushes at the museum, yes. I swear to God, the Harper <laughs> Museum, Sarah, is sounding like the coolest place to go. And I mean that quite <laughs> sincerely. How many toothbrushes have you got? Do you know, we think we have about 3,000 toothbrushes. <laughs> you've, got not so many, you, you've got so many, you don't know how many you've got. That's brilliant. We, yes, we're still cataloguing them. <laughs> 
And, and what's the what's the oldest toothbrush that you have, Sarah? Oh, do you know, I'm not 100% certain, but um, the company that made these toothbrushes was around in the 18th century, so it's... Did people brush their teeth in the 18th century? I thought they all had yeah. wooden teeth then. <laughs> they did, didn't but they? No. They? Oh, okay. no, some of them did. Oh, yeah. wow. Listen, uh, it sounds fantastic. Have you got a website or something that people can have a look at online if they want to well, find out some more? We're hartfordmuseum.org. Hartfordmuseum.org. Yeah, or we're on Facebook and Twitter as well if people want to look for us. Brilliant, Sarah. Listen, thank you very much for coming on. You've been a good sport. All right, thanks very much. Sarah Keeling from the uh, the curator, assistant curator at the Hartford Museum. I'm I'm genuine. Doesn't that sound like the coolest place? I love stuff like that. I love those kind of places that have... Yeah, we've got over 3,000 toothbrushes. Genuinely... As a middle-aged man, that's the kind of thing I could drag my kids around and bore them endlessly with. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. I enjoyed that. What collections have you got? Come on, just come out of the closet. Admit it. I won't take the mick. I'm on your side. Thank you, Catherine. Who, who was that American guy? Was that the mayor? A politician? Was that the mayor? If, you, if you're not leaving, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. I said it now, you're an idiot. That's what we want. People like that speaking the truth, you're an idiot. Fantastic. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's seven o'clock, it's Monday. It's cold, it's dark. Ah, doesn't matter. Lots coming on. A bit of a random show this morning, but I kind of like it when it's like that. We're firing all over the place. Hopefully you'll find something that's interesting. Coming up in the next hour... Flights have been cancelled from the UK to New York because of Hurricane Sandy. A long shot, I know, but if you are going to go to New York this week, how have your plans been changed? 08459 455 555. Who's to blame for kids getting fat? We hear from the Dunstable shop owner who's selling school uniform trousers with a size 46-inch waist. And Justin Dealey meets a man with a collection of hundreds of fossils. What do you collect? 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm reliably informed that it was the governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. I'm telling you to move. You're an idiot. I'm going to come around there and break your legs. He didn't actually say that, but you could, you could feel that anger in his voice. I want more politicians calling people in this country an idiot. Now, eight American states have declared, as you've heard, a state of emergency as Hurricane Sandy heads towards the east coast of the country. Transport services have been suspended in New York and hundreds of thousands of people have been told to leave their homes ahead of one of the biggest storms to hit the United States east coast in modern times. Hurricane Sandy is more than 600 miles wide. Wow. And is expected to affect more than 60 million people. Your time is up to prepare for Hurricane Sandy. Remember, in just hours, this unprecedented storm is going to bring in powerful winds, heavy rain. We're even talking about snow and a massive storm surge to the mid-Atlantic and the northeast. This is putting millions of people in danger. Now, New York, you're really going to feel those effects of Sandy when you wake up, especially heading into tomorrow morning, and we're tracking this potentially life-threatening situation, of course, with expert analysis you won't find anywhere else. This is a special extended edition of Weather Center Live. I do love American news. They're so kind of dramatic and powerful and big. Um, I know, as I say, I know it's a long shot, but if you're affected by this, do give us a call. You can listen now as uh, our New York reporter, uh, James Gordon. Good morning, James. Hi, Ian. Are you, are you in New York at the moment? I am, yes. What's the situation there this morning? What's it like? 
Well, things are eerily quiet. I mean, I know this is a city that never sleeps, but mm. it looks like it might have to take a short nap, at least for a day or two. I mean, the winds are starting to pick up. The hurricane itself is still some 500 miles away, but they really are preparing Sandy to do its worst. And New York itself, uh, the state is in a state of emergency. The subway system was shut down last night at 7pm. Other forms of mass transit, like buses and trains, they stopped at 9pm. In the supermarkets, the shelves are virtually empty as people have been stocking up on food and water and in the those people living in the coastal and low-lying areas including parts of manhattan and brooklyn they've all been evacuated as the city prepares for flooding and high winds which are on the way james the, the term superstorm sounds a bit dramatic why is that being used yeah, this is something that's being banded about, um, they're calling it a Frankenstorm, because it's a collision between a severe winter weather storm and a tropical storm combined with a full moon. It's just so many ingredients. It's not just a hurricane, it's not just a giant storm, it's, there's a hurricane involved, there's an arctic storm, there's the jet stream involved, and so Sandy has exploded into this superstorm. There's going to be um, a storm surge expected to be up to 12 feet, 80 mile an hour winds, uh, 8 inches of rain, and blizzards as well and then as i say this full moon which uh, m makes the tides higher than usual anyway uh, a week before the election I is the hurricane going to have any impact on on that well, all the campaign events for today have been cancelled, so in that sense, um, it is affecting it. Yesterday, uh, the Republican candidate, Mitt Romney, he cancelled his trip to Virginia and instead went to Ohio. President Obama is, was going to be in Florida. He is now spending the rest of the day um, at the White House monitoring events there. So, for both the candidates, it's something of a distraction, um, although we have had non-stop election since the beginning of the year. So, in many people's respects, it's quite a welcome relief <laughs> not talking about the election but the point is it is a distraction because of course there's only a week to go the polls are neck and neck and really it, this is sort of it's, it's sort of hurricane sandy is having the effect of freezing the election just for a few days if nothing else uh, and daily life how are ordinary people being affected there well, the interesting thing t today um, uh, is that there won't be any public transport. Um, the subway is shut, uh, the buses and trains are not running, and not just in New York either, but in Philadelphia and also in Washington as well. So you won't be able to get around. Um, the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ are both closed. Um, schools are shut in many cities across uh, the East Coast. Uh, certainly in New York, they're, they're off today, all the kids. But Central Park is also closed. Um, not that you'd want to be out in the park with the flying branches hurtling at 60 miles an hour. But um, the point is, it is a day to, as the Americans say, hunker down. Uh, James, listen, thank you very much. James Gordon, out in New York. It's going to be fascinating uh, to see how that progresses, really, isn't it? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Talking collections this morning, and uh, I, I kind of put out that it's mainly a male thing to collect things. But we heard just before seven that actually almost as many women do it as well. If you're a, a woman... And you collect things. Could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Whatever you collect, man or woman, give us a call. I'll be I, I do like these kind of geeky, these geeky collections. I think they're wonderful. Uh, Paul in Hartford is on the line now. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning to you, Ian. Paul, it, it says on my screen what you collect, but I want to hear it from your mouth, please. 
Yeah, I collect um, Dame Barbara Cartland's dresses. Actually, I've got the largest collection in private collection in the world of her dresses. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul has the largest private collection in the world of Dame Barbara Cartland's dresses. Paul, I have to ask the question, why? Well, it's really unintentional. I mean, I'd known of Dame Barbara. <laughs> it's unintentional. Go on, sorry. Well, I, I'd known her since, or known of her rather, since um, I was a little boy. Yes. Um, in the 60s and 70s, she was a huge personality and, and probably one of the famous women in the world. And uh, I was a great fan of hers. And I used to collect obvious things like her books and different things. And then I got to meet Dame Barbara a few years later when I was a young man in Scotland. Her family and my family used to holiday together in the same area uh, in Sutherland. And um, I got quite close to Dame Barbara in the latter part of her life. And um, after she died, her sons invited me to live down on her estate in Essendon, near Hartford. And um, I, uh, well, just after she died, her dresses went up for auction in Sotheby's. Right. And I didn't intend to sort of go and buy any, but when I saw the dresses at the actually at the auction, I, I sort of remembered her wearing a lot of them and yeah. bought that sentimental sort of memories. So I bought 16 at Sotheby's. Can I, can I, am I allowed that, to ask, Paul, how much you spent uh, on, on those 16 at Sotheby's? Well, not a great deal, because they were... The ones I bought were in sort of job lots. Right. And at the time of her death, there'd been so many auctions of different people's belongings, like Elton John and yeah. Cher and everybody else, and it was pitched just before Christmas. Right. So no one had any money. Help. So how much did you spend? A few uh, hundred? A few thousand? A, a few hundred. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a bargain, then. It is a bargain. And also, her sons afterwards gave me a, a lot more, because the charity work I did with them. Wow. And then after that, Lady Spencer, her daughter, um, gave me some of hers. So the, the collection now of, um, is quite big. How many do you think you have, Paul? Well, I've got 30 of Dame Barbara's. Yeah. I've got um, about a dozen of Counter Spencer's, and I've got coats, hats, shoes, handbags... Of wow. Dame Barbara. So what did, well, actual, well, what do you do with them? I mean, do you, I'm going to ask a question that might seem improper. Do, do you wear them? Do, do, do you have friends that wear them? What do you do with them? Well, I, I can't actually get into them. You've tried? I mean, well, I, I haven't... I did try one once. I, I was very lucky. For the ten years after Dame Barbara died, the dresses were out and about a lot. Um, they've been on television. They were at exhibitions. I've lent them to shops. Um, so uh, they weren't at home with a lot. Yes. I've even lent them to a Hollywood movie, went, uh, um, Wild Child. They went. One of the dresses went into that. Wow. So it was all for charity. But ten years on, they they do see really stay at home a lot more. Right. I, I work in a shop in Hartford, and we have a mannequin in the shop. It's a gift shop and sells furniture and different things. We also sell vintage clothes, and every week. I do put one of Dame Marble's dresses on the mannequin, so they, they actually are seen. Good, because I think things like this, Paul, I think they should be seen. It's all, it's all nice having collections in boxes and cupboards and things at home, but you're right, I think that these things uh, deserve to be seen, don't they? Well, they're very visual. When yeah. Dame Barbara put in her will for them to be auctioned, I think the vision she had, that, I mean, she described it as saving for the nation, but I think that was a bit dramatic. Yes. That was Dame Barbara, but see, having one or two, I couldn't do it. Paul, could having you, 32, it's, I can. Could you, could you email us a pic so we can put it on the Facebook page? I know, I know our listeners would love to see these. Yeah, I'll try to put them on you, of course, yes. 
Lovely. Listen, Paul, thank you very I mean, much. Go, go, on, carry, very go on, carry on, go on, what were you saying? I'm going to say, if you do, if anyone is out and about and they do see them advertised, it is worth going to see them. I say it's always for charity, but they are very, very visual and they, they are fun to see. Paul, listen, do, send us a picture, th- a picture, 3CR at bbc.co.uk and we'll, we'll get it up on the Facebook page and, uh, and tweet it, because I know my listeners demand to see that collection. That's Paul in Hartford. Now, I no, listen, there are some of you who are thinking he's a bit odd for having a collection of Barbara Cartland dresses. I'm totally on Paul's side. I am totally on Paul's side. These odd niche collections of... uh, And I think it's only us that does it in this country, isn't it? You wouldn't get that anywhere else in the world. Thank you, Paul. As always, you can give us a call about any of the things uh, that we're talking about on the show or things that you maybe we think we should be talking about. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Just a quick heads up, the weather has moved. It's not going to be at 20 past the hour anymore. I know, I know you're used to it. A new bloke comes in and he starts moving the furniture around almost as if he owns the house. And we all know he's only renting. But we'll we'll get used to it. We'll, We'll muddle through this together. The weather is now going to be at quarter two. So 7.45. Uh, you'll hear the weather. Now, this story I find fascinating, and if, if you weren't listening earlier on, you, you missed a, uh, we were speaking to a guy from an obesity society who seems to think that uh, uh, the children, the fat kids, the problem is the government and uh, that society. I disagree strongly. I think it's the parents. It's totally the parents, isn't it? Give me a call. Let me know what you think. 08459. Four double five five double five. The, the reason we're talking about this is because a store in Dunstable has begun stocking 44 to 46 inch waist trousers for kids. Yeah, as part of the secondary school children's uniform. That's compared to an average adult man's waist, which is around 34 inches. Big stuff in the town has seen an increased demand for the larger sizes from younger teenagers. The latest National Child Measurement Programme concluded that around 18 18%, 18%, 18% of 11 to 12-year-olds in the three counties could be classified as obese. The owner of the shop, Mick Radford, told three counties it can be quite emotional for families to find clothes that fit. Quite a big lad. Came in here, 2XL I would say, and I was able to talk to him and got him into the fitting room trying a few fashionable pairs of jeans on and t-shirts and shirts and what have you. He was with his mother and grandmother. Anyway, after they'd finished, the grandmother said to me, I'd like to shake your hand. Asked why. She said, I have never, ever seen my grandson the way he was today. Thank you very much. Um, And obviously that... choked me up a bit. Now, listen, there will be different reasons for this, and medical conditions aside, not making light of anyone who's got... not making light of any of this, to be honest, but I'm aware that there are some medical conditions that may lead to children being uh, bigger. If... I I will ask this, yes. If you've got fat kids, could you give me a call? Let me know. 08459 455 555. I'm really keen to talk to you. Uh, And also keen to find out uh, uh, whose fault this is joined now by tamsin kelly she's the editor of the parenting website parentdish.co.uk morning tamsin good morning whose fault do you think it is that we're getting so many obese kids these days i think it's a combination of things um i think it's the parents i think it's the um environment i think it's people not being fully aware of exactly what they're eating uh i think it's lack of exercise and pe in schools um, there's lots of different reasons. I spoke to a gentleman earlier on from uh, an obesity society, and he said that he believes that some parents honestly don't know 
that burgers and chips and fried chicken will make you fat. Is, is there anybody that doesn't know that, Tamsin? Um, it does surprise me, but then having said that, my daughter was showing me a Facebook photo the other day of uh, a friend of hers' dinner, um, which she'd photographed, which was a ready meal still in the plastic dish. Mm. Um, so, yes, sadly, I think it is. See, that makes me quite sad. Yes. That, that's really sad. And listen, hey, you know, ready meals, what, of course, sometimes people haven't got the time and stuff, but to have it still in the plastic thing, that's quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked. Uh, what, what, what tips have you got, Tamsin? What would you say to, to parents who are struggling, who think they may be struggling with their kids' weight? I think it's important to be a role model for your children. So um, if they see you eating healthily, um, and by that I just mean a, a, a balanced meal, not obsessing about good and bad food. Because mm. um, that can be equally as dangerous, can't it? Yeah. yeah. I think it's fine to, to have occasional junk food, but to say if you eat this, and only this, you will get fat. Um, but obviously, of course, it's fine for a treat. Um, I think it's important to exercise together as a family. I know that sounds terribly smug, but I'm sure it, it, well, it can be done easily and, and it can be fun. Um, I think you should involve your children in cooking because if they see what's going mm. into food... Um, you're right about the exercise because that doesn't people think hey what going to the gym together no it means you have a sunday roast then you go for a walk afterwards yeah exactly or you go for a bike ride together or you get from a to b uh, a bit faster on a bike um it doesn't have to involve expense and you're right about the cooking my, my t uh, boy he's nearly three years old he made me pizza at the weekend you yeah. know and it was a mess uh, but it was wonderful and he had great fun doing it and he saw the ingredients you put on it and he said i want a little bit less of this a bit more of that and they enjoy it they yeah. really enjoy it and i know listen I'm, i got criticized at the weekend for saying similar something similar to this i am very blessed in that both my wife and i have ridiculous jobs that allow us to spend a lot of time at home with our kids not everyone is as lucky as that but there are still things that you can do to make it a bit easier uh, and make things a little bit healthier for the kids. And we, the, again, the, the, the guy we had on earlier on said, our oh, kids watch too much TV. We'll, we'll, we'll stop them watching to turn the TV off, limit it. Oh, if, if you do that, they have a little tantrum. Well, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Listen, well, you know, you're allowed to watch a, a Postman Pat and a, and a, a Mr. Men and that's it. Then the TV gets turned off and we're going to go and do something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think our role as parents is to bring our children up to be happy and healthy, and that means expectations of what we want them to do. Are you hearing more, uh, Tamsin, uh, on parentdish.co.uk, are you hearing more stories about uh, obese kids? Yes. Um, I think it's true that children um, get bigger earlier, mm. um, and that may well be puppy fat, and they grow out of it, and... We did a story recently which, which struck a chord with a lot of people um, where sizing for, for young girls from sort of 8 to 10 or 8 to 12 aren't quite right. But um, I think the sort of waist sizes that you've been talking about are obviously very extreme. Um, well, Tamsin, listen, thank you very much. Tamsin Kelly, editor of the parenting website, parentdish.co.uk. Andrea's in Aylesbury. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, Ian. Whose fault is it that kids are getting fatter? Um, I think that parents have got an awful lot of responsibility on their hands mm. here. Um, I, I do think that parents are in a position where they don't want to say no. Um, but having, you know, had a t when I was um, growing up and all that, I was very much overweight a lot of the time um, through various things like me feeding my face. And when I became pregnant, I got diabetes. 
so as soon as I'd had my baby, I was very much, I don't want him to be overweight. Mm. I don't want him to be diabetic. And I, and both my husband and I have allergies. So I didn't want to trigger any of that off as well by feeding his face with the wrong stuff. Anyway, um, he didn't have any chocolate or anything like that until he was nearly two. Mm. And I, and I never had any fizzy drinks in the house. He was never allowed to have anything like that. They're just chemical cocktails. And so I was the one who was in charge of what he ate. Um, If, if, you know, if I didn't want him to have it, he wasn't allowed it. And it was like that right up until he was a teenager and going to football matches and stuff like this. And I I knew that he was having the dreaded fizzy drinks. And I said, well, when you're not in the house, it's up to you. I can't see what you're doing. But eventually, after a long time, when he was about 20, he decided to ditch all of that stuff because he was still spotty. Mm. And so he made some decisions for himself about what he eats. But he's never going to be overweight. He's stick thin and 26. But, oh, you know... Let, Andrew, let me tell you, I was stick thin. That then when I turned 31, just this little pot belly... I'm not, not fat, but this yeah. little pot belly started appearing. So, yeah. you know, let him know it's going to come as... Well, <laughs> but he's also, he's also very sporty. And right, OK. Always, and, and, very, and always been like that. But I know what it's like that people don't take their children out nowadays. They're bothered about um, who's outside. They don't play outside. They haven't got safe places or they think they haven't got safe places mm. to go but then the parents but then if you go up to wendover woods look at all the families that are cycling yeah do you and think walking about andrew do you think some parents give in too easily to their kids oh, it, and it's so much easier to go and yeah. go to the local high street burger place where the food is cheap yeah. and they're filled up quickly um and cooking i mean who does meals from scratch when not all nigella lawson or delia or lorraine you know people don't do that it's convenience food that are packed full of sugar and heavy on fats as well I, and listen, I don't, I don't have a problem with once in a... My wife disagrees, but with once in a while going for a burger is a little treat. I don't think I... You know, yeah. it's when you're doing it every other day or uh, every weekend yeah, so, or something. Or if that is your lifestyle. Yeah. But also, we don't move about much. Yeah. We haven't got... You know, all the school um, playing fields were sold off years ago. Children aren't, don't have the sports lessons. I mean, we had sports every day when I was at school. Oh, that was too much. I hate, I did hate sport at school. Oh, well, no, and I, um, both my husband and I are pretty sporty. Right. And we, and even though I lived in London, um, my school, we went, I went swimming every week with my school. That doesn't happen. That- Andrea, listen, thank you very much, Andrea and Ellsbury. It's, it's the parents. And I kind of, I, I don't want to have a go at parents, but I kind of think it is. You can't, it's easy. Oh, it's society. Oh, it's the government. Oh, it's, it's advertising. Well, yeah, you know, there is a bit of that, but... It's your ultimate responsibility. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're also talking about collections this morning. Marilyn is in Milton Keynes. Marilyn, you're a woman and you're a collector. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought it was mainly a blokes thing. No, don't be silly. All right, I won't be silly. What what do you what do you collect, Marilyn? Well, I'm not sad, but I collect gnomes. (laughs) It's a little bit sad, isn't it? Isn't it? No, it's not sad. Of course. How, How many how many gnomes have you got, Marilyn? Well, I haven't got loads and loads. I've got about 40 to 50. That's quite a few gnomes. That's, that's not bad <laughs> got, as gnome collections go. I've got them in the front garden and the back garden. Do you not worry? Because there, there was a spate, wasn't there, a couple of years ago, mm. of gnomes being nicked. Yeah, I know. Um, no, it's, 
pretty safe here, so you okay. know I'm bothered. And I, I, I'm going to ask a question. I think I know the. I think the answer to this is going to be yes. Do all of them have names? No. Oh, you no. didn't name them. No, I did name them. But um, a few years ago, my, my favourite one. My son bought it for me for a Christmas present as a joke. Yeah. And it's one dressed in an Arsenal outfit. Oh, dear, Marilyn. People will be fuming at the radio now at your, your football reference. So we'll move on. Marilyn, thank you very much. A lady who collects things and their gnomes. What do you collect? Give us a call. On FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey meets a Dunstable man who has a collection of hundreds of fossils. Don't worry, it's going to be good. And there's a ban on the import of ash trees which comes into force this morning in an attempt to control the spread of a deadly disease found in East Anglia. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Collections. I collect monkeys memorabilia. The pop group, uh, not the animal. What do you collect? We do, and I don't quite know why. Well, earlier on we heard from the Buttonhook Society, who are concerned about the lack of interest in the hobby because it's so unusual. Well, Felix Economarchus is a psychologist um, who can maybe explain a bit... Good morning, uh, Felix. Can you explain why people collect things? It seems an odd odd thing to do. Mm. Well, I think nothing in itself has any value except the value we attach to things. And think about the ways we attach value. If you're a child and you watch the monkeys and, and, you know, it was a carefree world, Mm. you don't have to think about anything. It was a lot simpler. Then collecting that is going to remind you a little bit of that time. It's going to be a little bit of escapism that takes you back that time. So it's whatever does it for you. Then there's the the actual pursuit of the the research, the detective work, can be quite fun. It gives you a lot of uh, structure, a lot of meaning, something to do. You chat with like-minded people who are into the same things. You go to conventions. You you know, it's it's a bit like like a slot slot machine where, you know, just the one, just the real monkey's memorabilia or the real thing. There's a little bit of excitement, anticipation about these things. So these are all positive things associated with collecting that drives us to, to do it. You're good, Felix. You've just totally described me and why I do it. I'm just <laughs> sat back here going, wow! But then, OK, what about... Uh, the, the, we had these ladies on earlier on who collect button hooks. Now, button hooks are these little metal mm. things that they use in the olden days to, to do up zips and do buttons. Mm. What, what pleasure, what, what does that bring them? Right. Well, there's a mechanism in place that says collecting good things, you know, uh, collecting things can be fun. And sometimes it gets channeled onto something that, you know, has, has no obvious value. Mm. Um, it, it's a little bit like phobias, that there's a, a mechanism to protect us from things, but sometimes it gets channeled to phobia of buttons or a phobia of, of mushrooms or whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, this is the same. Collecting something that's good for you, I don't, for the, mess, the nest or something like that, is probably useful, but it can get hijacked by something unuseful like button hooks now i don't know if these ladies you know if, if they're with with their parents and they're looking for button hooks it's a beautiful day and they've got an ice cream and somehow they associated button hooks with a nice experience uh, going out well um, we had we had one lady i can see where you're coming with that and i'm sure that's true for some of them we had one lady though who was sitting on a beach going hmm i really need to collect something that i can afford i know i'll go for button hooks that just popped into her head that's a bit odd isn't it I mean, that, that is atypical, yeah. That's not generally how this process works. Uh, if it's the first thing that pops up, it's a random generator in the mind. Yeah. And she says, okay, I'll go for that. Then that hasn't really been uh, considered. I mean, I'm sure we can collect lots of things. We choose to collect things that have a meaning to us rather than something 
arbitrary. Felix, you know, yeah. we, we talk about the positive aspects of, of, yeah. of collecting, but there are some people who collect things that are, are, are perhaps frowned upon. For example, I know there's a big market mm. for, for Nazi memorabilia. Why, mm. why would someone be drawn to that, do you think? Um, that's a, a tough one. I mean, I, I don't know if they're drawn in some way by the sort of something to do with aesthetics or the colours of it, the, the symbol is something like that, rather than necessarily having some sinister undertone. Mm. You know, it, it can be quite striking, all the red and white in a certain way. They might like something about uh, the, the, the order of it or the, the overall impression, impact, without, without having to do anything, without it meaning anything uh, more than that. Um, so it, it depends on what appeals to you. Is it a visual wi- uh, thing? Is it something you can touch and feel? So you collect certain kind of fabrics or, or, or things. Um, is, it, is it music? Is something auditory? Mm. So it kind of depends what your sensory preferences are. And I guess that, 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 that for some people it can be a nice little hobby, but for some people it can become a, a, an obsession, yeah. can't it? And, can, and can, can, can get dangerous with the amount of money they're spending, the, the isolation it creates. Yeah, absolutely. This is the problem. We're all prone to things, but there's a part in our brain that puts some kind of context onto things, you know, some kind of perspective. It makes a balancing act. With some people, that context part is not giving the input in, which means it can easily slip over into a kind of goal-focused way, irrespective of the consequences. And, and you know, if, if the brain, oh, it's good to collect that, the brain says, well, collect it all the time, at all mm. costs, and it won't consider anything else. So we'll override other considerations. Felix, yeah. do, do, do you collect anything, or are you too sensible? Um, I think I'm a little bit too, too naughty. I don't know what the word is. Boring. Um, <laughs> you I, nearly I, said normal. <laughs> you nearly said nearly. normal. Cardinal mistakes. Yes. Scratch that. Delete that, please. <laughs> um, I, I've had some postcards. I've had some, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I can't remember some things when I was younger, but n- nothing really excessive. You know, you go through a phase of it, you like them, then you get bored and you move on to something else. Uh, Felix, and finally, uh, with a name like Economarchus, I'm, I'm guessing, are you Greek? I am indeed, yeah. Uh, Tikanis? Oh, Galafristo. Ah, Galafristo. Thank you very much, Felix. See you later on. Ta-ta, there we go. That's that's, that's pretty much the limit of my Greek there, unless I start ordering food and drinks, which would probably be inappropriate. Uh, Well, that's Felix Economakis, a psychologist. Uh, I I do want to listen. If you call up and you share your collections with us, uh, I, I do want to know. Um, I'll be generous, I'll be kind, I'm on your side. Well, Justin Dealey has uh, been out and about in Dunstable this morning. Let's uh, go to him now. Justin, what's happening? Yes, hello, Ian. Talking about unusual collections, yes. I've been to Dunstable this morning to meet a man called Colin Huller. Now, he's been collecting fossils for 44 years. Wow. He's, a, he's a very passionate man. So we asked him... <laughs> is he? <laughs> yes, he is. We discovered that as well, did you? <laughs> <laughs> we discovered that as well. Take a listen to this. We asked him when his passion first began. Well, my mum and I were walking along the beach at Ramsgate in Kent, and uh, we heard a tapping noise, went to investigate, and uh, there was a gentleman collecting fossils from the cliffs. And that was it? You were hooked straight away? Oh, yes. Um, I had a penknife on me, um, and within a few minutes I'd found my first one and broken the penknife. I mean, looking around your property here, it is full of fossils. There's fossils absolutely everywhere. Do people take the mickey out of you for this? Um, yes and no. Um, people don't understand it, but there you go. So it's all about education. And uh, Ian was talking earlier on about whether you might be single. Can you confirm, are you single? Yes, I am. Nothing to do with your fossils, though? No, not as far as I know. Right, Okay. And uh, here, you have something quite special. In a nutshell, tell us what this is. 
Well, this is a large vertebra or part of the backbone of an ancient marine reptile called an ophthalmosaur. Um, this one, I believe, was collected from uh, Stuart B. And um, it's about 114 millimetres across uh, and would have come from a very large animal. You see, I was saying earlier on that I get very excited about my CD collection. If a certain CD comes in that I haven't got and I get it, I get very excited. Is that exactly the same for you and your fossils? When you get something quite unique, you are jumping for joy. No, not really, because everything is unique. Everything in life is unique. Um, It's the enjoyment for going out and collecting it and preparing it for sale or whatever. Okay, and just lastly, when are you next out looking for fossils? Uh, Next Saturday. Next Saturday. And where are you going? Uh, Houghton Regis. Fantastic. Have a great time. Colin, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So there you go, Ian. The words of Colin Huller, a man who's been collecting fossils for 44 years. See, Ladies, if you're that. interested, I'm... you know, well, I can pass you on. Colin's a single man. I, I, I respect that. And it's, mm. it's interesting. I don't know if you heard the psychologist we just had on, Felix, who, who was saying that sometimes collections can start because it can be associated with, uh, like, a happy time. And that, that's perfect there. He was yeah. walking along the beach with his mum, having a lovely time, and then suddenly he comes across this. Great memories. Great memories for him. As he mentioned there, he's out again next weekend. He has got his own website as well. What I'm going to do, I've taken a photograph of Colin and his fossils. His whole home is surrounded by fossils, and we're going to put those details on the Three Counties Radio Facebook page before nine o'clock this morning. Good for him. Fantastic. Now, we we mentioned your your collection of CDs. How many have you got, Justin? Um, Probably about 3,000. Wow! That puts puts my 800 to shame. (laughs) Have you had the wonderful experience I have of being really geeky and putting them all onto a hard drive? No. Oh, do it! Why should I do that? Well, what's real about that? No, 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 but listen, you still keep them, but then it means you've got them all in your iPod as well. I've got, no, like, 30,000 no. songs in my iPod. No, you see, that's just wrong, you see. What wow. I love to do is get the CD out... And rub and them all take... over your body. Yeah. <laughs> No, Not quite. To take out the inlay card yeah. and just touch it, caress it, read it. It's a wonderful thing. Justin Dilly, thanks very much. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> I do get... The, I'm finding that with these uh, little reports that Justin does, just a little tiny glimpse each morning, a little glimpse into his, his, his life, and it, it makes it very, very exciting. What do you collect, dear listener? 08459 455 555. We've got some texts uh, on overweight parenting. We were talking about overweight uh, kids. Uh, and if you want to see a picture of our reporter, Victoria Cook... Uh, who went to the shop in, um, where was it, Dunstable, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, she is standing in a pair of 44-inch trousers. It looks like one of those adverts. I used to be this big until I tried this diet. It looks like that. It's amazing. It's an amazing photograph. It's on the Facebook page, if you want to see. Uh, we're asking who's to blame for fat kids. Um, uh, anonymous tech. Put, to put your names on the text. It's the parents' fault every time. We are called parents for a reason. We decide how and what they eat in the home. I turn my TV off a lot more, and after the moaning has stopped, both my young kids start playing with toys and were much more active. Any parent who blames something else are just kidding themselves. Um, and Frequent Flyer has uh, texted in. Eight one three double three. starting the text 3CR. Listening to the theory that the blame for childhood obesity lies at the door of the government. This was um, an expert we had on earlier on in the show. It must surely follow that the government has stopped doing something it used to. I'm not advocating starting another war, but maybe just bringing back rationing. There seem to be less lardies in the old wartime dramas. Just a thought. Well, I don't know if... 
I don't know if rationing is the thing, but I, I agree with the first sex. Turn the telly off. Turn the telly off. They'll have a little bit of a strop. They'll get over it. They, they will get over it. They'll be like, one more. This is the cry at my home. One more postman, Pat. Dad, one more postman, Pat. No. You've had, you've had two. That's, you know, being generous. We're going to go in, we're going to go in the other room now. We're going to do some drawing. We're going to go and play in the garden. We're going to go for a walk. I need to go to the shops and, and drop something off at the dry cleaners. Do you want to come with me? That's all you need to do. That's it. Surely. I felt really so we heard about as well about that kitty whose um, friend had their supper served at ready meal. Nothing particularly wrong with that. You know, if you don't, don't you do it all the time. It was still in the plastic container. And even bothered to put it on a plate. What's that about? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Always worth a listen. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to give us a call. I'm looking for your odd uh, collections and also who's to blame for fat kids? Oh, you shouldn't use the word fat. Oh no, no, no. no. Well, they're, they're fat kids. People are fat. Use the word fat. Come on, let's not be silly. Who's to blame for it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It has to lie with the parents, doesn't it? Medical conditions aside, if you've got fat kids, it's your fault. That's not controversial to suggest that. You can't blame it on the government and schools and adverts and, and the fact that there's a, a KFC and a Dixie Fried Chicken and a McDonald's in your... You, you can't blame it on them. It's your fault. Now, a ban on the import of ash trees comes into force this morning in an attempt to control the spread of a deadly disease found in East Anglia. However, the Environment Secretary, Owen Paterson, told the BBC over the weekend that the first case in the UK was discovered in Buckinghamshire as early as February of this year. The disease was first identified in a nursery in Buckinghamshire on the 24th of February during a routine inspection. It was then confirmed on the 7th of March and through the summer... A very uh, detailed process has gone on of identifying where the trees have come from and where they've gone. Uh, during this process, over a thousand sites are being investigated and 50,000 trees have already been burned. When I came in in September, a consultation with the industry had just started and I made absolutely sure that it took as short a time as possible. Over the weekend, I will be talking to experts who will already have prepared, on my instruction, legislation so that if the evidence shows it's necessary, and I think it will, we will bring in a ban on Monday morning. Well, Alex Hen is from the Dutch nurseries near Potter's Bar. Morning, Alex. Good morning. This was discovered as early as February. Why is the ban only coming into place now? I know. It, it does seem a, a, a ridiculous thing, certainly, because this much time, obviously, has elapsed before people have been really aware of it. One of the questions. One of the questions. Sorry. One of the questions. I'm. Uh, or one of the reasons is actually the majority. This is. This was found on imported stock. So these were imported in from Holland right. via Belgium. And actually, the ninety percent of the imported trees are only imported in the winter months when they have no leaves on. Right. Actually, so since uh, March, there have been very few imported trees because you can actually only import them when they have no leaves on. Okay, so the, the, with me. The, I, I think I'm with you, just I'm at the edge of my my tree <laughs> knowledge, but I'm hanging on. So you're, you're saying that very few would have been imported over the summer? In significant numbers, yes, because the vast majority are imported when they're dormant, when they have no leaves on. Okay, and could they, that, could they the still country. have could they still have caused a problem? Could, could diseased trees still have been brought in during the summer? But they, they absolutely they still could have been brought right. in, yes, in smaller numbers. So it's, it's absolutely not ideal. I'm not defending them necessarily nope. for having waited this long. How serious is this, Alex? 
at the moment, it, it potentially could be very serious, actually. It could be a bit like the uh, Elm situation in the 70s, mm. which, which you're probably too young to remember. Thank you, sir. I, I, I've, I've heard legend of it from my grandparents, yes. <laughs> but that, yeah. No, I'm aware of it. it was, that was a big yeah. deal, wasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, they have recently found some cases in... The, the original case in March was from imported trees, uh, young saplings, but they have, unfortunately, just recently found uh, three or four sites in Norfolk and in Suffolk where actually in established woodlands right. they've noticed it on old trees, and actually that's the more important or the more worrying thing, really, when it's already in old woodlands. 50,000 trees already burnt. When it's mm. discovered in something like an old woodland... Does that mean the whole thing has to go? Can they just take out a few trees, or does everything have to go? Not everything would have to go, but um, they've taken a lot of trees out in Leicestershire. There was um, a load of, uh, I think there was 40, 50 large trees which were taken out in the car park area, uh, which were infected. Now, in the woodland situation, no, uh, the affected ones, they're monitoring, and they're going to see how it is spreading. Nobody's really sure how it's spread yet. That's the problem. Well, they don't know how it's spread. There, yeah, the oh. actual how it's well. Let me let me rephrase it: how it's come into this country, right. whether the old in, uh, trees, whether it's come in on the air, whether it's come in on foot, or even on insects or birds. Oh blimey! So they're not. It, it's really quite vague. Yeah. That, that's the problem. And uh, the, the silly thing, really, uh, from my opinion, is it's actually been a problem in Denmark for the past few years. Denmark have lost ninety percent of their. Um, of their ash trees And yet we, can, we, we continue to import trees from Denmark, did we? We do, we do, yeah. Well, that's, we that, do. Surely, surely it's like the mad cow thing. As soon as, as, soon as there's a sniff yeah. of it, you say, right, yeah. Denmark's off limits, we're having none of that nonsense over here. Absolutely, absolutely right. This is, this is the thing. Another thing, just to confuse matters, though, a lot of trees bought from Holland or the, the Dutch markets come from all over Europe, including oh. Denmark. So you may be buying them from a market or an auction house in Holland, yeah. but they're not actually, they're not tracking the trees well enough to know originally where they came from. Alex, listen, you and I are speaking a lot of sense. Well, well, how do we, we, we should be in charge of this. I know, we, we I know, to absolutely. Do. Uh, very, very quickly, the Forestry Commission, they're keen for people to notify them if they spot any signs of the disease. What does it look yeah. like? <laughs> it's another tricky thing because <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, most, uh, it's most obvious when the trees have their leaves on. Right. Um, because you'll notice dieback of the tip. So you'll see a largish tree and you will see dead branches at the top and live leaves underneath. So you've got sort of dead branches sticking out of the tops of the trees as such. Mm. Uh, of course, now they've just recently, in the past two weeks, they've lost all their leaves. They've got their no leaves, exactly, yeah. So we're not, not with us here, is it? Nothing's with us at all. Um, what we can possibly do is, if you look on the base of these trees, you can find large black sort of lesions or scars on the stem of the tree where the branch meets the main stem. Mm. So that's what we've got to look for now. But of course, it is a lot more difficult because they have no leaves on. Alex, is this going to affect your business? It shouldn't affect the business, no. I think it's more a forestry right. matter. Okay. Uh, most of these trees are planted in large areas, you know, with the Forestry Commission, etc. And they're not sort of trees that are sold uh, through garden centres. Most ash trees are, are normally bought uh, and planted in large areas for recreational purposes. Alex, listen, thank you very much. Alex Hen from the Dutch Nurseries near Potters Bar. Put me and Alex in charge of it. We obviously know what... Just, just stop it. Don't let them come in. It does seem amazing that, that they knew about it years ago. And yet we kept importing those trees. Thank you, Alex. That was fascinating. Um, now, on the, we're talking about fat kids this morning. Uh, and I think Jonathan is going to pick up the baton and uh, run with it. Because uh, we, we were talking about this store in Dunstable that's been, begun selling children's school trousers with waists from 44 to 46 inches. 
Um, the latest National Child Measurement Programme concluded that around 18% of 11 to 12 year olds in the three counties could be classified as obese. On the big phone in today, JVS wants to know is it difficult to keep children slim? I can tell you the answer now, Jonathan. No. You turn the telly off, you feed them well, and you get them out and about. That's it. It's all you need to do. You may disagree with that. If you disagree with it, you can give us a call as well, 08459 455 555. But Jonathan, this morning from nine o'clock, we'll be asking, is it difficult to keep children slim? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We really are bouncing all over the shop this morning, and I like it when it's like that. Collections. Olive is in Luton. Good morning, Olive. Good morning. What do you collect? Um, elephants and mugs. I beg your pardon? Elephants and mugs. I was leaning over to prepare myself a nice cup of tea from my flask, and then you come out with... Why elephants and mugs? Well, I started with elephants about 15 years ago. I saw one in a shop which I liked, and... Since then, I've been collecting them. People have bought them for me. All unusual. What kind of elephants? Like porcelain elephants? Fluffy elephants? Yeah, just ordinary cheap china ones and expensive ones. And they stand on the floor with pots on. What is it about the elephant, Olive, that... Oh, um, I just love elephants. I'm always up Whipsonade Zoo watching the elephants and... I can't see enough of them. Do you think that maybe... uh, And I'm I'm, I'm serious when I ask this question. That maybe you were an elephant in a past life. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, okay. I was an yeah. elephant a few years ago, big built, but still, I lost that now. You, you, <laughs> you lost that. Have you ever been on top of an elephant? Ever ridden one? No. Oh, no. you should do. It's brilliant. Oh, is it? Oh, it's the most. They're really hairy. Oh, they got really thick, yeah. like wiry hair on the on their backs. Yeah, I've seen them close up. You know, at yeah. the zoo, but. Yeah, I think they're, well, I think they're a bigger animal, but they look gentle. Yes, they do look gentle. Yeah. Of course, they can be, they're deadly. And mugs, how many mugs have you got? Uh, well, I was started counting before you filmed me again. I've got, I've, I got up to about 150. Blimey. You never get enough tea bags to fill that. <laughs> do people, uh, Olive, do people not say, think you're a little bit weird? Yeah, they say, oh, there's mugs up there. Yeah. And I say, yeah, well, they're all like, um, Cadbury's chocolate oh. and, uh, Tea bag and yeah. instant uh, soup powders and all what? sorts. What's 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 the best mug? What's the one mug that if you had to get rid of all of them but you kept one, which one would it be? Oh, I don't know. I like the Toblerude one because that's a funny shape. The which one? Toblerude. The Toblerode? Yeah. Okay. That's a funny shaped one. You like the Toblerode? Like the, like the chocolate bar? I don't mind them, but I don't eat a lot of chocolate. Olive, thank you very much for calling. Olive and Luton, her favourite mug is the Toblerode bar mug, um, which sounds, because it's a funny shape. I do, mugs that are funny shapes, I find, they, they make me uncomfortable. I remember there was a thing in, like, the 70s for square mugs. Remember that? And you try, uh, a nightmare. Olive, thank you very much. She shared her collection. What's yours? You can tell us. And uh, in St Albans, I collect owls and cloth badges for my guiding blanket. I've got about 200 badges and approximately 185 owls. And Dave the Thatch, I've got a few vintage gliders. I do collect photos of old aircraft. I've got a few aeroplane propellers. Now, for some reason, the thought of aeroplane propellers does get me a little bit excited. I'm there with that. Restarted collecting First World War stuff. I have the tele... Oh, look at that. I have the telegram saying my granddad was wounded in 1917. Plus a few German helmets. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight. It's Monday. It's the 29th of October. 
Halloween this week was spooky. We have some vaguely spooky things for the Halloween show, including when I went to a haunted house recently. Oh, yes, we'll play that out. Yes, what happened? What spooky things happened? Uh, on this show this morning, though, lots coming up in the last hour before JVS, including flights are suspended as the US braces itself for Hurricane Sandy. A Dunstable shop sells size 46-inch waist trousers to kids. Who's to blame for children getting so fat? And what was the best performance in Strictly Come Dancing? I just don't know. There were so many great ones, I couldn't choose. I don't need to choose, though, because 10-year-old Gracie from Stevenage joins me in the studio to give her verdict. She's in the building now, dear listener. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Call about any of those things uh, that we're talking about. But the, the, the big story this morning is that up to 60 million people living on the east coast of the United States are bracing themselves for the arrival of Hurricane Sandy, the most powerful storm to threaten the eastern seaboard in recent years. British Airways and Virgin Atlantic have cancelled dozens of flights from the UK. What happens if the flight gets cancelled? Do you get your money back? Do you get a different flight? How does it, if you know, could you give us a call? I've got no idea. If it's cancelled because of bad weather, do you just get put on a flight a few days later? Do, do, do they refund you? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. The disruption is expected to affect thousands of people here who've been planning to visit New York on business or during the half-term holiday. This is the uh, dramatic way the U.S. news networks are covering what they're labelling the superstorm. This could be historic, folks. If you live across the East Coast, you need to be paying very, very close attention to your local forecast. This is not just a hurricane. This is a totally different animal. There is nothing we can compare it to. A storm system in the Northeast, in the Atlantic, it's very difficult to say this is going to be like any other storm because it's really cutting brand new territory. Good evening. We're going into a situation this weekend that's very scary for a whole lot of people. I want to read you a quote from a veteran forecaster today. He says, we are in uncharted territory here. I've never seen anything like this. I'm at a loss for words to describe what this storm could do. Oceans will surge. Trees will come down. Power will go out. Portions of the coastline could be ravaged. States like New York, Virginia, Maryland have all declared a state of emergency. Even the U.S. Navy is taking this storm seriously, pulling 21 ships out of the harbor in Norfolk, feeling like they'll be safer out in the open water than they will be bouncing around in port. New York's mayor has ordered the evacuation of 375,000 people from low-lying areas. So what is it that makes this storm, this storm so potentially dangerous? We can talk now to Simon King. He's a meteorologist at the BBC Weather Centre. Morning, Simon. Good morning, Ian. Well, what's the latest news on this? Uh, okay, Ian. Well, um, as of this morning, the storm is actually, well, the eye of the storm, uh, the very iconic hurricane eye, is about 425 miles to the southeast of New York City. It's a Category 1 hurricane, which, at the face of it, isn't really that big. But then, because it's moving towards the northeastern states of the, uh, of the United States, it, somewhere where it doesn't normally see hurricanes... It's going to interact with the weather system that's moving from the west, and that's bringing much colder air with it. So with those two act interacting together, you're going to see some snow from this, you're going to see significant rainfall, some very, very strong ones, and with also a very big storm surge. We're talking about 6 to 11 feet of storm surge. That's, that's massive. What's the, Simon, what's the storm surge? What does that mean exactly? <clears throat> when you get a low-pressure system coming into uh, inland areas... Uh, 
it acts as a vacuum, a hoover. So this weather system is kind of sucking up all the air beneath the weather system, and that raises the sea level. So that's what caused wow. the storm surge. Wh- which area is set to be affected the worst, do you know? Uh, it's towards New Jersey, he- heading towards Delaware. That's where we're expecting the eye of the storm to make landfall uh, in the early hours of tomorrow morning. But because the storm is so big, we're talking about 600 miles wide. Wow. It is going to cover a massive area all across the northeastern states. So even while the forecast track of the eye of the storm is moving towards New Jersey, Delaware, Washington, D.C., uh, that's just half the story because it's such a big storm. It's going to cover, cover such a big area. Is there any chance it could kind of blow itself out before it reaches the states? Or is it too big for that now? Uh, it's we're, we're too far down the line to be honest we um the storm is definitely there it's it's sustained its intensity over the last 24 hours and because it's interacting with another weather system coming from the west uh it's just bad news it's just a recipe of disaster that's why they're calling it the frankenstorm or the superstorm and that's why it's unprecedented that's why you have those clips of people saying we've never seen this before because it's just so unusual so unfortunately i mean we, we, it will weaken when it hits landfall because it loses its energy but it's still a very very big storm and so when when is it expected to hit new york do we have a time okay so what's going to happen that during today we've had already some very very strong winds all along the eastern coastline from north carolina south carolina moving its way northward now what we'll see today is the outer edges of the hurricane moving towards the new york states through washington uh virginia uh, new jersey Today you'll see the winds just gradually increasing. So later on, you're going to get hurricane force winds, gusts of, uh, well, sustained wind speeds of 60 to 80 miles per hour, gusts much higher than that. And then through the next 24 hours, the storm will move its way gradually northward. The eye of the storm, the centre, will move in uh, around about tomorrow morning, 6, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then you're going to have the other half of the storm moving in behind it. So you're going to have effects of about two or three days of this storm affecting these areas. And how long will the after effects be? When, when can people expect to fly over to New York again? That's a very good question. Uh, it depends really on how much damage there's going to be. I mean, mm. we are expecting the power lines to go down, widespread disruption with uh, power outages, flooding. Uh, so while the weather will be severe over the next two or three days, you know, we'll have to see from Wednesday onwards how much damage there is and how much clean-up there's going to have to be before things start getting back to normal again. And Simon, final question, and and be honest, as a meteorologist, when you you hear something like this is happening, do you get a little bit excited? (laughs) I've been asked that question a few times this morning already. Uh, And I'll be honest, look, you know, this is is as nasty as it gets. This is is very, very bad. But as a meteorologist, it's it's very interesting because it's interacting with another weather system, how these two systems meet is, is, is pretty rare. And as a meteorologist... I'm, I'm extremely interested by it. Yeah, I'm fascinated. Simon, thank you for your honesty. Much appreciated. Simon King, meteorologist at the BBC Weather Centre. <clears throat> I'm going to th- that area of New York in, in uh, a month's time. I'm guessing it will have blown over by then. I'm hoping so. Um, 08459 455 555. We're also talking about collections this morning. What collections have you got? And be honest, we've had some cracking ones. Fossils, uh, button hooks, um, scented candles... Um, Anita is on the line. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. You're very perky for a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't feel it. Oh, well, you sound it. What What do you collect, Anita? 
Royal memorabilia. Oh, there we go. Look, I, I should stand up and salute you. What, I, oh, yes, especially if the National Anthem sings. If the National Anthem plays, do you stand up? Oh, yes. Good for you, as, as everybody should. What, what, how much stuff have you got? Well, I'm on my way now to 6,000, which is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it, really? Flipping heck, that's bonkers. Where do you keep it all? In the loft. I know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got this wonderful collection. The majority of it is in the loft of my house, and it never sees the light of day. And you... there's a, a huge royal celebration like there was this year. You've had a couple, you've had a couple recently. Do you live on your own, Anita, or do you, are you married? No, or... no, no. <laughs> Why do you... Can you just imagine there's, there's been some uh, little daft old lady? No, there? <laughs> no I was going to say, listen, if you're on your own, you should set it all up. But he, have you got a husband? <laughs> yeah. Does he, does he think you're bonkers? Uh, yeah, but, well, he did, but I think he just, um, he just... You know, just part of life now. Anita, that stuff you can't keep that in the loft. I'm I'm going to insist you bring bring it down and Do set it, it all up. No, I don't want it. <laughs> I've got my own collection to to keep going. You've got to you've got to set it all up though and and have it on display. This stuff yeah. has to be seen. Well, it has been. Uh... It was on display in Golden Jubilee, yeah, the whole collection, and it filled a shop the size of a supermarket. Blimey. And it's just, uh, I mean, they, they're all, you know, you have uh, boxes inside boxes inside boxes, and everything's fits, you know, fits inside each other. You have tins with, I've got a suitcase, this is no word of a lie, I have a huge green suitcase yes. that has over 400 items in one suitcase. What, what kind of stuff are you collecting, Anita? Well, I collect from Queen Victoria's coronation to the present day, so you got six reigns. Right. And, um, there's, uh, there's everything. You, like, you, if you name something, some everyday object, okay. I'm sure I'll have a, a piece of... Oh, yeah, I've got hundreds of them, and S cups and saucers and stuff. S snow globes. Yes, I've got snow globes, yeah, funnily th enough, I yeah. Knew, I knew you'd have snow globes. <laughs> um, Umbrellas, oh. teapots, bars of soap, there's a lot of, um, Bars of soap? Yeah. Royal bars of soap? I've got a bar of soap from 1935 Silver Jubilee. <laughs> yeah. Why, why the royal family, Anita? Well, uh, I mean, the, the, um, the collection started completely by accident. Uh, I didn't set out to have a collection at all. Yeah. But what I am is, uh, I'm, I'm a monarchist, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a fervent, um, believer in a constitutional monarchy as a form of government as opposed to a republic. And I'll defend it with my last breath. Right. But I think people get that a bit mixed up. Yeah. You know, they'll, um, sometimes, well, I, quite often people say to us, you love the Queen, you, don't you? And I don't say anything, but I think, well, I don't know the Queen. <laughs> right. It's not, uh... Anita, listen, you've got to pick one of the Queen's sons <laughs> to run away with and, and have mad, passionate... I think I've lost that. I, oh, I think I'm a bit too old Wh for that. Now. Which one would you, which one of the Queen's boys would you take? Well, it would be Andrew, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Randy, yeah. Andy. Wah! <laughs> Anita, Anita, final question. Your house is on fire. You could, you've only got time to... It's not, by the way. Don't panic. You've only got time to grab one of your, your pieces of memorabilia. Which one's it going to be? Ooh, ah, oh, that is such a difficult question. Because um, I've got so many things one. that I really like. I want one. Uh, I think it would be something, you know, like, really, really personal and something probably that one of my children or my grandchildren have bought and that I would never like to lose. There we go, Anita. Thank you very much. She would get, bring something personal and she would run off with uh, Prince Andrew, given the opportunity. Wouldn't we all? Anita, thank you very much indeed. You've got to respect that, but that stuff should be on display. It shouldn't be in the loft. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just did that. Jonathan Vernon Smith just did. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, I think it's we, we're both a little bit hyper because it's Monday morning, and uh, you know, it's, it's we're always excited to be back at work. And uh, at the end of that little uh, trail there, you did a little kind of hand dance. I did a little dance to the jingle. You did. Look at that. That's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't know you had it. in I you. could do them all. You should see my me, uh, my dance to Nick Coffer's trail. I look forward to. to well, maybe we'll play that tomorrow. I look forward to seeing it. Did you have a nice weekend, JVS? It was very, very relaxing and nice. Although I don't like this change in the clocks business. I've been up since five. <laughs> Wide awake since five. I uh, yeah. Our boys were up at quarter past four on oh. on Saturday morning. Uh, it's uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. It's, uh, the cat started asking for for food an hour earlier than he should be. You know what you need to do about that? What's that? Have it shot. No, I'm no, joking. No. no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> what, what we did because our cat. It's always an option. Our cat always used to wake <laughs> us up, so we got one of those automatic feeders. Oh no, that that, that doesn't work with mine. Why? I bought him a, an automatic feeder. It doesn't work. They don't have to do anything. You no, do no, it. no. He he worked out that there was food inside it. Yeah. So he learnt that if he grabbed the lid of it and repeatedly thrashed it on the floor over and over <laughs> and over and over again. <laughs> Finally, it would break open. Wow. He is determined. That's, that's incredible. Honestly, uh, I went to bed one night when we got this thing, and all I could hear was this banging noise. I thought, my God, what's going on? Yeah. And he had the whole thing in his mouth. That's genius. Thumping it on the floor. That's, you should send him to That's Life. Do they still have That's Life? No, they don't. Something like that. I sent a, uh, a video to, uh, to You've Been Framed of my cat playing chess, and they never used it. He can play chess. I was mentioned on You've Been Framed the other day. Were you? Yeah, I was. There was, there was an idiot dancing, there was a lanky idiot dancing, and Harry Hill said it was me. They didn't use your, your footage of the, the cat, um, No. Do you want to see it, though? I'll show it to you later. Ah, I'm not that bothered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. I'm honest. I bet you it's can not, play chess! I bet it's not playing chess. I bet he's just hitting a rook around, and that's it. That doesn't count uh, playing chess. That's probably why they didn't show it, then. They obviously had the same attitude as you. <laughs> What's on uh, <laughs> coming up on the big phone in this morning from nine, I'm asking, is it difficult to keep children slim? I'm fascinated in this story you've been mm. talking about this morning, this store in Dunstable that's now selling children's school trousers with waists as large as 46 inches. That's over 10 inches bigger than the average waist of a fully grown man. Big stuff in the town has seen an increased demand for the larger sizes from young teenagers. The latest child measurement figures show that nearly 20% of children starting school in the three counties this year will be clinically obese mm. well is that because it's getting increasingly difficult to keep children slim and i know you said earlier well no there's only one answer no it's not difficult to keep children it's slim. Not difficult at all. but hang on a minute and i'm i'm not a parent so i i shall bow down to your to your greater experience you should bow down to it every day but you don't but, but if you take if you take all the marketing aimed at children the fear of letting your children go to the park on their own and go off on their bikes like, you know, I used to, and I'm sure you used to when you were a kid. Yeah. If you add all of that with the computers and the PlayStations and the fact that there now are so many unhealthy options out there for food, is it any wonder that children are getting bigger? Is it just too easy to say, oh, yeah, it's all down to the parents? Perhaps parents are under a lot of pressure from their children and trying to motivate your child to go out and burn off the calories, eat healthy food is actually easier said than done. Oh, it, it's hard work, but that being a parent is hard work. You limit the amount of time they can watch TV. You limit the amount of the PlayStation they play. You go, After your, your Sunday dinner, you go out for a walk with the family. You see, you, you, so there's no excuse at all? I don't think there is. A, medical conditions aside, I don't think there's any excuse for having fat kids. But aren't there just some children that are, are born 
to be fat. Oh, well, they've got big bones. You're going to bring that argument into it now, Well, isn't it, uh, aren't there some families that have genetics whereby, you know, mum yeah. and dad are quite fat, so the children will be fat. Well, but if mum and dad are fat and the children are fat, it's because they're eating the same rubbish that the parents are eating. Oh. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Is it difficult to keep children slim? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We'll discuss it on the big phone in. <laughs> Did you just oh me oh? <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to listening. I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions, and I look forward to listening. This should be a lively debate. Thanks very much. Thanks oh, for coming in. We're going shooting this week. Oh yes, Thursday. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm so excited. Part of me's hoping it gets rained off. Oh, why? Well, because I'm scared. No. What, what if we run out of things to say? It's all very well and good us having a conversation here. We, we run literally out of to say you don't know me very well, do you? We literally I can go s- on and on for hours. I know I've heard your show. <laughs> we literally speak <laughs> for three hours a day. We're going to be in each other's company for what? An hour and a half? Possibly longer. Oh God! Don't worry, I've got lots of funny stories. Bring that video of your cat playing chess. <laughs> Jonathan, I look for... Basically, I'm trying to say, could you leave I now? Know, I'm, I've turned right. away from you, and you've, right. you've continued talking. Okay, no, don't be rude. Thanks very much. So rude. I'm friendly. I'm welcoming. And he's gone. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be uh, on at nine o'clock. It's always worth a listen. Now, as uh, you have been uh, hearing us saying, a store in Dunsell has begins, begun stocking 44 to 46-inch waist trousers for secondary school children's uniforms. That's compared to an average adult man's waist, which is around 34 inches. The shop's called Big Stuff. Uh, now, Victoria, uh, a reporter, Victoria Cook, has been along to meet the owner. Hi, I'm Mick Radford, Big Stuff in Dunstable, outsized menswear. Tell me a bit about some of the younger people that you have coming in here. You've seen an increase in more children coming in with their parents. Yes, I have. And, and we're looking at occasions where children are leaving primary to go to secondary school. I mean, I started a 42-inch waist. And, of course, they can't get their uniforms anywhere else. And it, it's, it's quite sad. So these are kids that are coming in for their school uniform trousers, for example, and they can't get them from the usual places, I suppose, some of the supermarkets do uniform, don't they? And they, they can't fit in them, is that right? Uniforms, yeah. I mean, even with the likes of Asda's, Tesco's, they will take their stock up to a 40-inch waist. Anything past that, forget it. That's why I'm here. To give me an idea, 40-inch waist, what does that equate to? What size are you, so I can firstly tell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a 32 waist, and in the industry, 32, 34 is probably the most common. 40, 42 most definitely, most of the likes of Marks and Spencers, Asda's, that's where they finish. But when I say it's where they finish... When they purchase, there's probably only one or two 42s within that particular range compared with six or seven 38s. Could you imagine children coming to you 10, 15 years ago asking for these sizes? Never. That that wasn't even a consideration. You're you're talking about much older guys, but to see school children coming in, uh, even end of college where they need a suit for their passing out and so on and so forth, you know. It's everything. You're talking about school kits with regards to sports stuff as well. It's across the board. You even have to sell longer ties here, don't you? Yes. (laughs) I do up to a 23-inch collar. Therefore, I mean, when when you get a normal tie, a tie is made to go up to an 18-inch. So, obviously, when you've got a 23-inch, you need that extra length. Otherwise, you've got a tie halfway up your shirt. So, yeah. And once people are in the shop, are they pleased that you're doing these sizes, (laughs) especially for the younger children? Like you say, if they want 
more fashionable things perhaps they're struggling to find it elsewhere you know what's the reception that you're getting from from especially the younger guys it's coming into the shop after going round milton Keynes all day and getting very depressed that they can't find anything to fit them and they're looking at the bigger size in the shop they come in here and they find sizes too big for them and they walk out here so happy i mean it, it gets become such a buzz quite a big lad came in here 2xl i would say and i was able to talk to him and got him into the fitting room trying a few fashionable pairs of jeans on and t-shirts and shirts and what have you he was with his mother and grandmother anyway that after they'd finished the grandmother said to me i'd like to shake your hand asked why she said i have never ever seen my grandson the way he was today thank you very much um and obviously that <coughs> choked me up a bit well so how do we keep our children healthier i'm pleased to say that nutritional therapist diana wright from the orchard clinic in amersham is back with us last time you came in uh, mm-hmm. diana you brought us the, the whole spread of foods yeah. you've done the same today <laughs> you're my favorite favorite guest we're getting you in every single day <laughs> what can we do to keep our kids healthier specifically when it comes to food the f- main issue is to have give them breakfast Mm. make sure they do not go to school or go out without breakfast that in research has been linked to being slimmer so those people that have breakfast um are slimmer than those who don't right it's hard though sometimes isn't it to get kids to eat but i'm gonna say my boy's Mm -hmm. nearly three getting him to sit down and eat is a struggle is there are there ways i can make it more attractive for him yeah um sit with him yep. engage with him even help uh, get him to engage in making and preparing the food see that's a good thing I, I, again I, I you know i am blessed that my wife and i have silly jobs that means we have we can have more time with the mm. kids not everyone mm. can do that no. but it can be a simple thing like getting him you know he, he likes pouring the milk on the cereal and he yeah. likes putting the honey on the toast things yeah. like that yeah absolutely kind of make him more involved yes. what makes a good breakfast and i think more importantly what makes a bad breakfast okay a bad breakfast is a high sugar low um, low fibre breakfast. Mm. So lots of sugar will cause the blood sugars to go high and then the, the child go hyperactive. Um, so uh, a good breakfast is higher fibre and more protein. Mm. So one of my favourite breakfasts is the boiled egg. You brought and an egg in. Look, she's actually brought an egg in. Is, this, look, a, is this a hard boil? I can track is. this up. Yeah, you oh, can. Oh, 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 oh. I bought it this morning and it's in a Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Egg. Excuse egg me, I'm just going to eat an egg. <laughs> You're listening to the BBC Three Counties Radio, the it, home of news. It's a total food. It really is. It's the the, the uh, protein in there will give them long term energy, but most of all, the good fats in there helps feed the brain. And with some high fibre or wholemeal um, toast, soldiers. Well, uh, soldiers you know, are still in. Kids still love yeah, soldiers. Absolutely. And actually, dare I say, even though um, there is a little bit of sugar in, yeah. um, ketchup is good for uh, Ooh, us. Don't, don't say that to my wife. She hates ketchup. But it's full of lycopenes, which are really good for the um, uh, immune system. So while we're over the winter, it's good for the cold. You brought in lots of other stuff. We're running out of time. Okay. What would you quickly go through some of the, the, the bits yeah. you've got there? So we've got um, uh, the blueberry wheat, so shredded wheats, with, and some of them have fruits in them, which is good. Bagels, Those dried fruits in, in, in cereals, they're okay. A they? little they're bit, good. a little bit. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And especially if they're high fibre, so slow release. Yep. Um, don't use uh, juice drinks. Use um, natural smoothies. Don't have orange juice. 
Uh, orange juice is all right with have water with it nice egg by the way good good. Uh, (laughs) but the innocent smoothies or smoothies that are just made of pure fruits without added juice and uh, sugar are really good Mm -hmm. um so bagels here and the one thing i used to do was pancakes and actually Mm. pancakes are really cheap and actually don't take long just a quick whisk and bob's your uncle so i've got a mouthful of it can I just say the Bagnall Centre, while he's quiet, um, in Chesham is an integrated healthcare um, centre and we're doing a World Diabetes Day on the 14th of uh, November. Okay. Completely free because one of the risk factors for children with obesity is things, type, two, uh, type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And that's not funny. A uh, hundred children in this country now have type 2 well. diabetes and actually it's supposed to be an older person's disease and it's now becoming a child. What's the website? Okay, people. Have it kind of um, it's uh, it, always nice to see you diana thank, thank you, you so much for coming in you are genuinely my favorite guest <laughs> listen any other guests listening bring in food come on you know <laughs> let's, let's have a party here call 08459 455 Yes. Strictly Come Dancing. It's that time uh, uh, of the week where we get to talk about Strictly Come Dancing. The uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's on telly, BBC One, Saturday nights. Sunday nights as well, I think. I'm not sure when it's on. I don't know when it's on. But it's and Sunday. When is it on? Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. The voice you heard there is um, the future of broadcasting. It's 10-year-old Gracie Dale Smith from Stevenage. Her mum, Emma, is here. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. You're not allowed to speak, though. I know. I've been told to keep quiet. Gracie, yeah. you, don't, you don't want mum to speak, do you? Okay, in that, in that case, Emma, your microphone is gone. So, <laughs> Gracie, it's just you and me. Thank you so much for coming in this morning. You're welcome. Why aren't you at school? Because it's half day! Yeah, get in there. What are you doing this week to celebrate half day? I'm going to a Halloween party and I'm going to uh, Blackpool. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. But Blackpool in itself is quite scary. Have you ever been before? Yes. It's, it's going be f- to be freezing in Blackpool. I know! If you, you, you hope you're going to take a thick coat and a I scarf am. and gloves and hats and boots. My brother's not because he f- he left them at his school, but... Well, your brother, I don't want to be rude, but he sounds like a bit of a muppet. He is only six, uh, so well, give I, him some I, credit. I, I, hang on a minute, I, I'll step back, I'll step back. I cannot be seen to be bullying a six-year-old child on the BBC. This is, it's, it's a Daily Mail investigation all over again. Why are you going to Blackpool? <laughs> because they wanted to. The grown-ups? Yes. Oh, man alive. Why couldn't they take you to, like, I don't know, Disneyland or something? I don't. They're mean, aren't they're they? Mean. Your parents are so mean. Anyway, anyway, let's 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 not dwell on that. Yes, you okay. are one of our, uh, um, our team of strictly come dancing correspondents. Yes. Did you watch it? This, it's on Saturdays and Sundays. Yes, the result is on Sunday. The, Sunday and the dances on Saturday. Wow, I have um, uh, been on the same television show several times as Vanessa Feltz. I don't know if you're aware of who she is. She's she's very powerful, uh, very feisty, determined woman. She's terrifying. Gracie, you are scarier than Vanessa Feltz. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You've got that. You've Not. got. The, you've got the look in your eyes that she's got, but like turned up to eleven. No. Uh, you've you've brought notes. What did you've made notes on the show? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm what? prepared. Okay. So. All right. I, you see, I'm not. <laughs> I'm sat here. I've got a flask of tea, and that's it. So, uh, I saw some of Strictly this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, the bits I saw were Tracy Beaker d- dancing to Scooby Doo. Yep. I saw Sid Owen dancing. Dancing. Mum, keep out of this. Yeah. I saw Sid Owen dancing with a lady who wasn't wearing much, and I saw Denise Van Outen. Yeah. 
doing a dance. Mm. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Nope. Oh, go on. <laughs> this week was Halloween week. Yes. And the people who... The person who went out was Sid Owen. Yeah. And the person... I know you like Flavia, don't you? I do like Flavia. I think she's got really nice hair. Thank you. <laughs> it's not, it's not, not complimenting you, unless you put the bowl around her head and cut around it. She's got very nice hair, Flavia. I know she has. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, what about her? She... They got top marks. Right. They got 35. Yeah. And... That's good, is it? Yes. Okay. They got three nines and one eight from okay. Greg. Greg, yeah. Which one's he? He's the idiot. Oh! It's very mean. <laughs> Why does the... the, um, the, the is there one called Bernard? There's Bruno! Bruno, that's it. How dare you! Wow, blimey, she's like proper feisty. Why <laughs> does... Uh, the, the, no, Mum, we're doing fine. Why does Bruno, he can never finish a sentence without standing up! <laughs> Always has to stand up. Why does... Why just sit down, man? Because he's very funny and very... Over, let's say, over... He's over... He's over, um, isn't Exciting. It? He's <laughs> over-exciting, isn't he? Exciting. Who... OK, uh, who, who was the best this week? Who was the best? In your opinion. My opinion. Yeah. Hmm, strokes chin, thinks, <laughs> thinks hard, wonders. Sid Owen. What? He got booted out, though. Yeah, but I thought he was good. He was rubbish. Listen, he was good. I saw a bit of it. His time, he's, he, he dances like I would dance, just really badly. <laughs> and uh, he's got no, no rhythm. He's got that silly grin on his face. Good riddance. Who was... OK, in that, in that case, who was your... Um, who was the worst, in your opinion? Who was the worst? Any, um, Colin Sam. Who was that? He's the, the fella from... He was in James Bond or something, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. OK, he's the actor. Okay. Don't like him. He was, I don't think he was particularly good, either. No. I didn't see him, but I'm guessing. <laughs> now, listen, Bruce Forsyth is ta- controversially taking a week off. Did you not know this? No. Oh, yeah, in your face. That's right, yeah. I know something <laughs> you don't know about one of your favourite TV shows. <laughs> so what are you going to do about it? He's taking a week off. Cause they're doing a live show from Wembley, I think, oh, aren't yeah. they? And he's taking a week off. What do you think? How do you feel about that? Annoyed. He's a bit. He's, he's a bit too old, isn't he? Really. No. Come, listen. Come on. All, all joking aside, he's a little bit too um, old. Doddery. Yeah. He was the jokes he was making at the weekend. You kind of think, a bit oh, boring. He's a little bit boring. All at mum's. Oh, hang on, mum's. Mum, mum, what? Well, he was doing Gandam Star. All the kids are doing that stupid dance. The gang. Shush. Kicking off in here. Uh, it's, uh, the gang. The, the Gangnam Star. I was doing that a month ago. Do you know oh, what I, mean? no, I was doing that a month ago. That. You're doing it, look. <laughs> uh, now, listen, Gracie, as well as being one of our um, top uh, correspondents on Strictly, you're a... Uh, we've only got a few. <laughs> you... <laughs> how rude. You are... You, you collect stuff as well, don't you? Yeah. What do you collect? Sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you look so normal. Why, why do you collect sheep? Because when I was three, I had... I, my mum brought me um, a little tiny, like, lamb. Yeah. She was pink, and yeah. um, ever since then I've started like, oh, I like sheep. <laughs> How many sheep have you got? Three hundred. What? Why did you just count <laughs> in the air? How did you even just count three hundred? How have you got three hundred? <laughs> I have a lot of sheep. <laughs> have you got a real one? No. Would like. One. Would you like a real? One? <laughs> yes. Well. We've got a little surprise for you. What? No, we haven't oh. at all. <laughs> I just want to see your mum's face then. She's like, what? No, you, you haven't. No, we haven't. No. But I, I, I suggest that if you write Father Christmas a letter this year, who knows what might happen. Mm. All right, mum? Oh, there's, there's something coming. Ooh, <laughs> Oh, blimey, there we go. We're, we're exclusive. Listen, th- th- I told you it'd be quick. That's it, we're done. What? 
It's finished. Say thank you. Thank you. I I told you it would go quickly. You're not disappointed, are you? No. You sure? You say, okay, listen, if um, we're going to put a picture of you and your mum up on Twitter, if that's all right, so that people can uh, give you the thumbs up and say, she's good. It was good. I enjoyed it. Very quickly, why do you like Strictly? It's an old person's show. No, it's not. There we go. That's the, ar- that's, the, that's the argument. That's the only argument we've got. Thank you so much for coming in, Mum. Thanks very much You're for coming in. in. Have a lovely time in Blackpool. We will. Al- although it's... You, it's, God, it's you're going to be absolutely freezing. We're going to see McFly first, though. Oh, for goodness sakes. No, I... Terrible. I know. We're going to the Trafford Centre to go and see McFly. I went uh, to see one of the monkeys last night. Oh, did you? Yeah, was it good? Yeah, it was brilliant. Anyway, listen, I've got to do the radio show. <laughs> do you mind? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can I do it? I'm, talking, I'm directing more at your mum uh, there than that. Uh, right, we've been talking about collecting, because uh, the, the button hook collectors... Uh, but by the way, thank you, Emma and Gracie, for coming in, I should <laughs> say. It's been very kind. Excellent job. The Button Hook Collectors Society, it's down on its members. There aren't as many members as there should be. Well, we sent Sophie Solaria out and about to find out what on earth was going on. Hello, I'm Sarah Keeling and I'm the assistant curator here at Hartford Museum. This is Sue who put together the exhibition here and Margaret who's from the committee of the Button Hook Society. Hello ladies. Hello. Well I suppose I should ask what is a button hook? Why would you use a button hook? They were used for um, buttoning up gaiters, the old military buff coats, uh, leather jerkins. They do date back to the uh, 17th century. Are they still used today? Yes, they are. Yes, really? They are Who uses them? You can find them in lots of uh, catalogues for people with disabilities who've got um, limited grip. This top one is um, mostly mine. This is a black and white theme, so that all the handles are either black or white, a sort of mother of pearl or ivory, and we've linked that in with some black and white gloves and the black boots and the little policeman button hook. Wow. And then in the lower drawer, we've got folding and retractable hooks. Um, I don't know what that would be, Margaret. Seal. Seal. And then there's a little one there that's actually shaped like a violin. That's correct, yes. It's a bit of an unusual hobby, isn't it? (laughs) Is it fair to say that perhaps it's a passion that not many people share? We did actually reach nearly the magical number of 200 members, and they're in the States, Australia, New Zealand. We are actually coming down in size. I think we're about 140-odd members now because the young don't seem to collect. They're more minimalist. Maybe it'll all come back again sometime. How do you get the youth into button hooks? That's the question, isn't it? This is true. Mm. I mean, what can you do? We'll have to think of a a way. Well, they can come to an exhibition like this. Um, I think, you know, people would find it very interesting. And I think by coming out and displaying in museums all over the country, you would hope that somebody would take an interest because it is part of our social history. What got you into collecting button hooks? Many, many years ago, my mother showed me a hook that she found handy to pull up the zip at the back of her dress. And then when my mother died years later, I was sorting out a dressing table drawer and found this hook. So I kept it. And that started me off. And yourself? Well, I was sitting on the beach in Cornwall in 1971 thinking oh I'd like to start a collection but I didn't know what I knew it had to be something that was cheap because we were educating children it had to be something that I could arrange nicely and was not too large and so I came home and began going around antique centres and eventually uh, someone came up and held up a button hook I said, that's it. I just knew immediately. <laughs> you knew. I arrived home, 
sat down for lunch, showed my husband proudly the start of my collection, and his reaction was, what do you want to collect those for? <laughs> There we go, that's Sophie Solaria uh, talking to a collector. We can quickly go to Liz in Hitchin. Morning, Liz. Morning, Ian. What do you collect? Egg cups. Oh, see, listen, this is, this is only <laughs> in Britain would we have this. Uh, how many have you got? About 180. <laughs> and where do you keep them all? In the kitchen. Oh, do in you... shelves in the kitchen. Do you use them? No. Oh, see, I They do... aren't to be used. We have the ones in the drawer oh. that have to be used. Oh, I, I suddenly got a glimpse into what you're really like, then. They are not to be used. Not to be used. What would happen? Are, are you married, Liz? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a widow. Oh, okay. Sorry to hear that. Have you got, have you, but if, any, if you caught someone using no. one of your, your egg cups, what would happen? No. What would you do? Oh, I'd go mad. Really? I'd go absolutely potty. No, they don't get used. They are for show only. Blimey. <laughs> how, how long you been collecting them for? Oh, for many years. I've got them from all different places. I've been to seaside towns. Um, quite expensive ones from Port Miriam. Oh, they're very nice. Why, um, egg, why egg cups? I mean, it was going to be teapot. <laughs> yeah. They but take, they take up too much room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> they take up too much room. And very quickly, Liz, we're running out of time. What's the, what's the, 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 your house is on fire. You can only save one he- egg cup. Which is it going to be? Oh, I think, because a little boy gave it to me, I think it'd be Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, I, I, I saw it. I just had an egg from a Thomas the Tank Engine one. It's very special. Liz, sorry to be so short. We're, we're a little bit behind. Thank you very much. Liz and her egg cup collection. A tip for anybody um, who wants to work in radio. Don't eat a really dry biscuit during quite a short trail, because it really, really makes it difficult to, to come back... Uh, and focus. Now, as we've been speaking all morning, and, and, and Jonathan's going to pick up the baton with this and run a little bit later on, a store in Dunstable has begun stocking 44 to 46-inch waist trousers, get this, for kids. Yeah. That's compared to an average adult man's waist, which is around 34 inches. Big stuff in the town has seen an increased demand for the larger sizes from young teenagers. Now, I've been asking all morning, who do you think it is to blame for kids getting fat? BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Deedy has been out in Luton this morning. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. I'm just outside the Putteridge School in Luton at the moment. Now, here they have a nursery school, a primary school, and also a high school. I've been talking to Chris and Vivian. Now, they live very near to this school here. Chris says by the time the children reach high school, they are chunky. Uh, Her words, not mine. So I asked her whether she thinks there can be any excuse to have an obese child. Fatness does often run in families but obesity is different obesity is exercise lack of exercise they park all the way up this road nobody takes their children nobody walks them they want to get as near as they can to the school they don't even walk them 100 yards which is just utterly ridiculous there is absolutely no excuse for it whatsoever and when you heard about these trousers size 44 waist i mean you were laughing you were just in shock weren't you i'm appalled quite honestly (laughs) absolutely appalled i mean uh yeah i'm a dog walker so i'm always out and about but i've always been sport minded my children are sport minded people just need to get out and enjoy what's around them and uh, live their life because this generation of children are going to die before their parents and that's frightening 
Vivian, quick word for yourself as well. You live near to the school again. I do. A bit like Chris there, you see lots of obese children. Yes. Do you think it's the parents' fault as well? Of course. Mm. There, there are breakfast clubs. So if the parents haven't got time to give the children breakfast, there are breakfast clubs at the schools. So you can pay and your child would have a proper breakfast. Lunchtime they're let out and they come to the local shops, fish and chip shop around the corner, and... They just don't eat correctly. We've now got a swimming pool, so they can use that for activities. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no excuse. And as Christine said, they don't walk. They all get driven to school. Has it got so bad, just lastly, has it got so bad that you've almost been tempted to go up to the parents and say, look, why don't you look after your child? Look at the size of your child. What are you doing to your child? Because my children weren't like that. Well, the majority ones that I see are at senior school, so they are walking past on their own, so their parents aren't actually with them. But you often find if the children are big, the mother and father are big as well. Very, very honest words this mm. morning there from uh, Chris and Vivian. And, and Vivian's making reference there to Inspire. We spoke about that on Friday. That's the uh, Luton Sports Village in oh, Stocksley. Yes, yeah. £26 million that's cost. And the hope with that is that they can encourage children to, to come and keep fit because the obesity levels with children in Luton are certainly higher than the national average. It, 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 you're right, but uh, we have to be realistic. A lot of people can't afford to send their kids to sports centres and, mm. and to go swimming and stuff like that. And so that is a bit of a problem. But I don't think justin you need to do that because just going out walking your kids to the park and then yep. going and playing in the park there's, there's stuff you can do it well, does get me quite angry this really well, well those two ladies this morning um i spoke to them outside the school but they were off walking their dogs at about what 7:45 this morning so that didn't cost a penny uh, getting out getting active doesn't cost a lot what does cost a lot here i think is, is to eat healthily because yep. if i was to go shopping and try and buy everything healthy it would certainly cost a lot more than what it would be to buy the dirt cheese foods which are unhealthy so i get that slightly when it comes to food but certainly when it comes to to being active when i was younger all i wanted to do was go out and play football go and play tennis all i wanted to do was be active i i um i disagree slightly with you saying that the the, the healthy food is more expensive i don't think it is i think if you shop properly and you go to you go and buy some f- fruit and vegetables mm. they don't cost much at all well they can do i think if you're going to try and eat healthy foods i, f- I firmly believe that the, the, the foods in the shops do cost a bit more and i suppose if you are a parent right. and i'm making excuses here i know but if you were a parent and you had four or five children mm-hmm. and you had to to go to the supermarket and shop around maybe you didn't have the time to do that but but maybe i'm just making poor Justin, excuses you are, we, we, we're running out of time but you the challenge has now just been set down here. You yeah. and I, we're going to go shopping. <laughs> You're going to buy your rubbish, and I'm going to buy yeah. um, uh, some healthy stuff, and we'll see who's, who's is the cheapest oh, bill. Oh, I be look mine. forward to it. You it's a challenge. That? Yeah, well up for it. All right, speak to you later on. Justin Dealey there. We'll do that. We'll go to a supermarket. We'll, I'll buy some healthy stuff. He'll buy some of his, his fat stuff, and we'll see who's got the cheapest bill. It'll be me. Right, we're going to move on, because we're running out of time. Um, 08459 455 555 is the phone number. If you want to give Jonathan a call, he'll be on in um, uh, five minutes or so. The ramifications of the Jimmy Savile allegations still being felt across the country. Tonight, the regional current affairs programme, Inside Out, looks at the impact of the scandal on fundraisers and charities from the East. Joining us now is Inside Out presenter David Whiteley. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. What aspects have you been looking into for this? Well, of course, uh, there's been a lot of focus on the BBC, Broadmoor Hospital, Stoke Mandeville 
Hospital in Buckinghamshire. Following the revelations about Jimmy Savile, the charities that bore his name and supported Stoke Mandeville Hospital uh, folded. This happened last week. Uh, but the Popper Gutman Trust, uh, named after the founder of the hospital, Professor Sir Ludwig Gutman, continues to support spinal injury patients by helping with their rehabilitation. Now, we spoke to Eva Lerfler, and she's the daughter of Professor Gutman, who founded the Spinal Injury Centre and the Stoke Mandeville Games, which was the, the forerunner of the Paralympic Games. Uh, and she hopes that the good work there will continue to be recognised. I think he would have been very sad. I think it's an awful thing to happen and has, well, as you know, tarnished everything. But it really has nothing to do with the wonderful work which is going on at the National Spinal Injury Centre at Stoke Mandeville. That is the important thing, that they are helping people who've been paralysed recently and doing the most wonderful work there. I do think that's what matters. I think the past is in the past and we must draw a line on it. David, what's the hospital's background? Well, Professor Goodman founded the Spinal Injury Centre at the end of World War II. Now, it was expected there would, of course, be a lot of military casualties after the 1944 landings in Normandy. Now, the NHS didn't have the funds to rebuild it when the hut started to crumble, and, and that was where Jimmy Savile came in uh, in the 1970s. Uh, and Professor Goodman had retired when the new centre was, was built. And is the, the, the Popper Gutman charity worried about the impact of the Savile Association with Stoke Mandeville? Well, it hasn't been affected. Um, it, it has not been affected at all, really, by the fallout. Uh, it's completely separate to anything that was set up in Jimmy Savile's name. It's run by a chap called Michael McKenzie, who met Savile when he himself was treated for spinal injuries at Stoke Mandeville. I think the whole point is that it's very unfortunate that this has come out. It's horrific for the victims and it's bringing back memories for them and so on. But the work that was paid for by public funds via a figurehead must and will continue. And you can see the rest of the story on the programme tonight. Other things we're looking at this evening. Uh, the rise of attacks on guide dogs, believe it or not. Sorry? Uh, I know. Uh, people, uh, people's dogs attacking guide dogs. And we have, we have a case tonight where, um, where someone's dog is attacked deliberately. Yeah, someone actually set their dog on the on the woman's guide dog. Which, wow, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it okay. costs it costs fifty grand to train a guide dog. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's not just a you know working dog; someone's companion as well. Yeah, um, we're also and we also see the uh, local food uh, from the region that's getting protected status, a bit like champagne, but it's a sausage. Can I ask you a question about guide dogs that popped up in a, in a discussion last week? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to be insensitive. Do guide dogs go to the toilet? I imagine they would. Where uh, and when? In a discreet place, well, maybe yeah, a bit more discreet. Well, I don't know. I, I, you, well, you, you wonder, say you've you? never seen one do it. No, I haven't. You have a you have a responsibility to clean up your muck. And I, I'm, oh, I, I see. I'm, I'm guessing that they, that they are probably trained to do it. I don't know, at home in the loo? or something? Maybe, maybe they do it in the loo. Maybe they flush. David, listen, I, I expect to see that investigation <laughs> okay, on your show next fine. week. Can you, you do lay, it for us? You lay down the gauntlet. You, you're going shopping, and then we're laying down the gauntlet. That's fine. Thank I have a challenge as well. Okay. Thank you very much, David. Uh, very quickly, Barry, we've only got 20 seconds, Barry. What do you collect? I collect um, World War One uh, War Service badges. Can I ask why, sir? Right. Well, um, I picked some of these badges up in a local antique fair in Hartford some years ago, and I picked up one or two, and then over the years I've been collecting more. So they're mainly about for people who are on um, 
reserved occupations during the First World War. Barry, we've got to end it. We're out of time. I'm sorry, I wanted to give you more. Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Barry. Much appreciated. Travel news now. Here's Sophie. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie Tyler, you're good. You're good. There wasn't much time and she got it in there. Thank you, Sophie. Excellent stuff. That's it for this morning. Back tomorrow morning and every weekday morning at six o'clock. Do stick around, though. Coming up very shortly, always worth a listen, the superb Jonathan Vernon-Smith. See you later. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.